Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun, a very special episode. I'm excited for you to hear. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm really happy to be here with you today. So is Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Hi. We've got a great show in store for you. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to share about one of our incredible partners, Stamps.com. If you're looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping and shipping traffic, me too, me too, me too. Why not save time and money with Stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. I mean, y'all, it just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. So whether you're selling online or running an office or side hustle or your worker bees are sending out thousands of what sounds fun to you pre-order bonuses, Oh, wait, that was here at our office. My goodness, our people are so great. Stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. Access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip and get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off the USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Think of it this way. Going to the post office instead of using stamps.com is kind of like taking the stairs instead of the elevator. Just going up a couple of floors, sure, take the stairs. But if you're going up 30 flights a day, give yourself a break. If you spend more than a few minutes a week dealing with mail and shipping, stamps.com is a lifesaver. You save so much time and money, you'll wonder why you didn't start sooner. So save time and money this holiday season with stamps.com. Sign up with promo code that sounds fun for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the little microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code that sounds fun. Well, y'all, it's a special day here on the podcast. It's always special when you're here, Ash. Oh, thanks. Here we are. It is. You're always a part of our Q&A episodes, which I really appreciate. And a few weeks ago, and through several conversations with friends, including John Mark Comer's episode, the theme of fasting as a spiritual discipline kept coming up, Uh, specifically how fasting affects women and the questions women have around this spiritual discipline. So in the AFD Week in Review email, there's a link in the show notes if you aren't getting that, but in that email recently, we asked for your questions, and you guys really delivered questions you had about fasting. Now, dudes, listen along anyway, because this isn't just for females, but we certainly are leaning on some of the questions women have that are unique to women. So I invited some other friends to lend their voices and their expertise to this conversation, as well as you, Ashley. Mm, thanks. Welcome to the podcast. Thankful to be here. Thanks for helping us do this Q&A. So will you talk a little bit about us splitting up the questions? Sure. So um, just kind of looking through the different aspects of fasting that people had questions about. We um, noticed certain themes that rose up and wanted to invite um, these wise voices to um, just kind of grapple with those questions along with you. And yeah. so that's that's kind of how um, we grouped the questions. But there are some that we wanted to save just for you to address, yeah, um, knowing that, you know, friends reach out in a lot of ways because they're interested in hearing your experience as well. Yeah. So. Um, is fasting a spiritual discipline in your life? It is. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. It matters. Um, we, I, I want to hear more about it. Let me start by doing a couple of the questions that are kind of top level. Yeah. I think that'll be helpful for people. This friend asks, what does fasting look like? What do you hope to get out of it? And what are the biblical reasons for fasting? Um, we're going to talk about the biblical side of it all throughout the show. But in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, fasting is modeled as a discipline that 
is good for your spiritual formation and your spiritual life. Uh, We will talk about that with everybody that is coming. So what does fasting look like for me? I have a weekly rhythm where I fast uh, every week at some point. And in in those times, that is, I'm praying for some specific things that are long-term, some specific things that are, I'm kind of making deposits in that bank account of going like, hey, I really care about this thing, God. So I'm fasting again to connect with you, to pray in alignment with what you are doing. Um, and then there are seasonal fasts, like our church, Crosspoint, sometimes has fasts for the staff or fast for our whole church. And everyone who has read, oh, which book is it in? Is it in Looking for Lovely or is it in That Sounds Fun or Remember God? <laughs> oh, wow. oh, which of my books oh, is it in? All oh, those books. Jeez, that's, I, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be in Remember God where I talk about that I fast the week before my birthday. Yes. And and the reason I do that is kind of an alignment thing of like, God, what do you have for the next year? I want my ears to be as attuned as possible. And so our pastor, Kevin, often says fasting is giving up something you love for something you love more. And on this show, we are talking most about fasting food. So there's a weekly rhythm for me. There's seasonal rhythms for me. And then there are like 911 rhythms for me. Is that true for you too? Yes, absolutely. Well, just because I just heard you say we're talking, you know, talking about fasting from food, what are some things that we're not talking about as far as fasting and that word goes? Oh, very good. Uh, We're not talking about intermittent fasting. Right. We're not talking anything about dieting. And we're not talking about medical things. Yes. Um, We are not medical professionals. We do have a counseling professional on with us True. in this. but I have watched a lot of medical TV. <laughs> I am I am riding this Grey's Anatomy ship till the end. I, same. And I, and I really, I, I did the same with ER back in the day. Yeah, same, so. same. I am playing the, ti- I'm playing the violin on this Titanic for sure. But that's what we're not talking about. We're not talking Great. about our bodies changing. We're not talking about anything like that. Is that kind of what yes, you were? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, what we are talking about is the spiritual discipline of fasting that can be one meal, can be one day, can be three days, can be seven days, can be anything in between. There are also times like my what I would call 911 fasting is I have a big meeting coming up on a Monday. I'm going to fast lunch on Sunday and pray during that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or I there's something significant coming or a decision that me and our, our team here needs to make, me and a partner need to make. There's a decision that needs to be made. And we have to decide on Thursday. I will fast on Wednesday. I feel I feel like Esther modeled that beautifully for us in the Bible of she's got to go to the king. And so for a couple of days before, she is fasting to be prepared for preparation. That. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So there are times where I do that. Or if if something, I have a friend who had something sideways happen in her life last week, and she texted me and said, I'm fasting breakfast on Tuesday. Will you join me and pray for this thing for that. my child that needs to happen? So that leads to the, why, what do you hope to get out of it? Uh, it is a discipline that leads you closer to God. That is what everything I do in my spiritual life is to know God better and to be a better friend to Him and to understand His friendship with me better. Everything is about getting closer with Him. Also, I will proudly say, <laughs> I think prayer changes things. I think fasting changes things. I fast because I want things to move and I want things to change. What would you say is your hope behind fasting? I think it's, for me, it's typically about making mental and heart space yes. to hear yes. from the Lord. Yes. Even just the the image of that hunger is motivated by mm-hmm. it needing fullness. Yes. And, you know, likening that with, 
why we eat yes. multiple times a day yes. um, is because we're filled and then we're emptied and yes. we're filled and we're emptied. And so yes. just kind of that same idea, but switched to the spiritual realm where it's like, I, if there's an emptiness, like I'm seeking God to fill it yes. and I can, I can be more receptive if other stuff's not in the way. Yes, that's beautiful. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of times the time where I would eat breakfast, I pray yeah. a little bit longer, or I journal a little bit more, or I read an extra day of reading. The time when I would eat lunch, I go on a quick—I mean, we had someone—I won't blow her up, but we had someone in our office that was fasting, and every day at lunch, she would walk. She would go outside and go on a walk and pray instead of eating with us, and never made a deal of it. She just was, I'm going to go on a walk. And after about four days, we were like, tell us more. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and, and then she, and that's when she told us. Yep. So I think that is really important. Okay, I want to do one more question, and then I want to get to our first guest. Okay, so what does fasting look like for you? So for me, usually, I mean, there's a Daniel fast where you eat really simply. Jada and I are getting ready to talk about that. There are times where it's a juice fast, where you are drinking juice during the day or liquids during the day, and but no solids. Mm-hmm. And and that is what I tend to lean toward is a juice fast. That's what I do the most. I also think the longer you do the discipline, the more days you do also determines what you Certainly. what you drink. It, it, also, you are always drinking water. You are always drinking. You do not fast from liquids. Uh, that is really dangerous for your body. Right. So we don't fast from liquids. But like if I'm doing a one day, my challenge to myself is to do a water fast. But a lot of times mine look the most like juice fast or extended ones like our community doing a 21-day fast. I would do a Daniel fast or or something that simplifies what I eat, but I'm still eating at some point. Right. So that's what it looks like for me. I also want to say here that throughout this show – between Ashley and I and our guests, we are being descriptive, not prescriptive. We're not telling you exactly what to do. That's between you and God and your community of faith. We are telling you what we do and what fasting looks like in all of our lives. Yeah. Um, okay, one more question, and then we'll get to our first guest. What does the rest of your day look like when you fast? My, the rest of my day looks pretty normal. Yep. I do not exercise very rigorously on days where I have not eaten. I think that's wise. Um, but I might go on a walk. Yeah. If I'm fasting every meal that day. If I'm fasting one meal, it's just additional prayer, and then the rest of my day looks normal. Um, I can get hangry. I can get a headache. We're going to talk about that with some of our guests. I can be in a bad mood. Sure. And it is about reconnecting with God every time. Every time my stomach growls, every time I feel short about something, every time I feel angry about something, I go, oh, man, I wonder if you'd have had a cheeseburger if you wouldn't feel angry, because that means something sideways. I mean, something sideways. So um, any thoughts on that before we bring Jada in? No, I love that. And I think um, I've just in normal rhythms of my day, when I leave work, I go straight home and make dinner for my family. Uh And there are times when that becomes an opportunity to um, kind of model something for my kids. And there are are times that what makes more sense for where I am with the Lord is fasting breakfast and lunch and still eating with my family. Yes. Jada Edwards, who y'all know and love, she's been on the show recently. She's an experienced author, a speaker, Bible teacher, mentor. She's committed her life to equipping women of all ages with practical biblical truth to help them live more genuine lives. She currently serves as the creative services director for One Community Church, and she was on our Mother's Day episode, as you'll recall, this year. If you want to go back to hear that, it was episode 293. Uh, Jada is a dear friend of mine. I deeply respect her walk with the Lord, and full transparency, she's a black woman leading in the church, and we had questions 
questions about from you guys about whether it is different based on the community you grew up in, your ethnic background, kind of who you grew up in. And Jada has young kids. And so a lot of y'all had questions about that, just like Ashley was just saying. So here is Jada answering some of your questions about fasting. Jada, welcome back to That Sounds Fun. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> yeah, Andy Downs. You're the best. Thanks oh, for having me. You're the best. I'm so glad to get to see you again. Um, okay, first, I mean, this whole episode's about fasting. Tell me a little bit about your experience of the spiritual discipline of fasting and how that's affected your relationship with Jesus. Yeah, so I think as a kid, I saw it with my grandmother and my mother. They were, and I wouldn't say all the time, but there were at least five or six times I remember growing up where they'd be like, we're going to fast this weekend or something's going on. We're praying for someone or even just wanting to hear from God. And then as we moved into the church I grew up in, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, shout out, Tony yeah. Evans. Yeah, Tony Evans. Come on now, you can't go wrong. And so we did solemn assembly. So the first week of every year, the church would fast and it just kind of became a practice. And we kind of took that when my husband and I started our church, one community in North Texas, I mean, you know, came out of town. We were like, oh, we saw we do fasting at the beginning of the year. And so uh, we do it at least usually two times a year. And so now having practiced it a little bit individually, I think it was more like, oh, we're just not eating. Okay, mom and grandma or whatever. But I think now corporately, just to see how it opens up really just capacity. It is not a manipulation tool. It doesn't make God do anything. It is a stripping away of something that might not be critical for the moment because we're just more available. We just have greater capacity. So it's not trying to get a yes out of God, right? It's it's the same reason we study the Bible, hopefully not to cherry pick a verse to fix my life today, but to feast on the word of God, knowing that it's good for me in the long run. And so that first week of the year, what do you do? Do you do you eat nothing and drink water? Are you drinking juice? Are you, what's your- We do a couple things. We ended up changing ours to the first- first month where we doing some kind of fast. So the Got first it. week we call that solemn assembly come out of the book of Joel and we will not eat after 3 PM. Okay. And so it's no, no food and no technology, which I swear oh, people wow. would be like, I would rather just starve, you know? So <laughs> we added technology like a couple of years ago and the people thought we were not godly. Yeah. And so it's no food and no technology after 3 PM for that first week. Okay. And obviously if you work night shift or if you're scheduled, we we're just like, what is your block of time that you'd be eating late lunch and dinner? Don't eat, you know? So work it out. It's not, it's not rules. And then the rest of the month for 21 days, we do a Daniel fast. So you can eat all day. We're kind of back to technology. We're not managing that anymore, but it's Daniel fast. Um, limitations. And if people aren't familiar with that, there's a million websites on Daniel Fast. It's basically everything is plants, uh, vegan based, nothing from the ground, but also, but also <laughs> no fried food, no sugar, no caffeine. Yes. If you don't hear from Jesus, listen. <laughs> It's all you. And people can go read about it. Like you said, you can Google it. But also it is called a Daniel fast because in the book of Daniel, that is what he and his friends did to show King Nebuchadnezzar, we can be as strong as your other other soldiers, even if we don't eat the rich foods. And so a lot of people do that. Okay, let's jump into some of these questions. Thank you for doing this with us. Okay, here's a great one. How do you work out and have a normal day while fasting? Can I tell anyone that I'm fasting? So we've had a couple of people ask like, I'm an athlete or I'm a, I am work out every morning or for my mental health, I need to work out every day. Can you work out while you're fasting? And can you tell people that you're fasting? Uh, you can work out while you're fasting. But again, so I'm going to say an overarching thing that I think is probably going to sound repetitive throughout the thing. The purpose of fasting 
is to strip away physical comfort in order to be more available in a spiritual capacity. Okay. Stripping away physical comfort to be, to be more available in a spiritual capacity. Now, sometimes working out for most of us, I think is a comfort. That doesn't mean it doesn't, it's not beneficial, but it's not going to take our lives if we don't do it for a week or six weeks, even, you know, for 40 days. Now, some people, because they've got certain, I, I know psychotherapy is often tied to physical fitness. So some people like they need to do it for 80, like there's all kinds of reasons. So it's not to jeopardize your health, right? But if in any capacity, it's a comfort that you know you can do without, then it's something that you need to consider giving up. Um, I have fasted, uh, Sometimes I fast, I will work out the first couple of days of my fast because my body still has food. And then after a while, I'm tired. And sometimes God is like, yeah, sit down because you know what? You work out more than you're with me. So you prioritize your working out. So how about you give that up for a few days? Like I have no time to pray, but I got a 45 minute workout in. So it's just like, he's like, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. And you know what? In those two weeks, I don't gain 50 pounds. I'm all right. I'm still alive. I don't get diabetes and hypertension. Just like, it's fine. And so I think it's, as with all of these questions, I think it's going to be very much a heart check. Am I convincing myself that this is a need when it's really a comfort? Because if it's a comfort, it's going to get in the way of my availability while I'm trying to hear from God. Beautiful. Um, okay, here's a question. Should fasting be done weekly or seasonally or during the really difficult times in our lives? Uh, yes. That's what I thought too. That's what I thought too. So I think it's good to have a rhythm, just like, you know, I may pray more when I'm in a crisis, but good Lord, I really need to pray, pray regularly. Yes. You know, it may not be yes. the same time and it might not be Tuesday, Wednesday or whatever. Yes. It's, you want it consistent, but also those things get amped up when we're in a crisis. And so I love that our church does it annually. We have a rhythm for it, but that does not mean there's many times my friends will text each other or somebody that I just know from church will say, can you fast with me this weekend? Yes. And and sometimes I know I got a big dinner to go to and I'm not going to set myself up to fail, but here's what I do. I will go into that weekend praying, God, what can I give up? That's not a distraction because maybe I need to go to this big dinner and it's yeah. more drama to sit at the table and yeah. not eat. But that night it's no Instagram. It's no Facebook. It's no ice cream. It's no whatever I might treat myself to. And the Lord will show you because it's really about the heart of giving up something so I can really hear from God. Yeah, that, my rhythm is like that too. I have a weekly rhythm. Our church has a seasonal rhythm. And if something turns sideways, uh, you can always go, I'm going to fast lunch tomorrow or I'm going to yes. fast on Friday because on Saturday, this big decision's coming. Esther models that beautifully for us too, right? Where she Absolutely. she took those days before she sat with the king. And you can't predict when you're going to sit with the king, but if you know the days are coming, yeah. Okay, so here's a great question. I would love to hear from some of our female spiritual leaders of color about fasting. I'm a white female raised in the church and didn't learn that fasting was something that people did in today's time until I was an adult. I wonder how that differs in different cultures and denominations. And so when I called you, I kind of said, Jada, I assume it's not different in the black church and the white church, but I actually don't uh -uh. know. Is it different? No, it's not the difference. It's not different. I mean, we might miss fried food a little more because some of us got, you know, you're like, Jesus. <laughs> Daniel fast is probably harder for us than complete fasting uh, because, I mean, we're, I mean, a lot of people are moving into healthy. I'm not going to stereotype a whole Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, depending on, I'm from the South. That's probably more, more, uh, yep. a weightier factor than the fact that I'm a black woman. But, but no, honestly, I, I learned of it in, in my church, like I said with Tony Evans, but, he is not a traditional black pastor, if you know him. So it's not something that came out of any type of cultural understanding from what I knew. My Even when my grandmother and mother did it, it wasn't anything they did in their churches. They just practiced it because 
if you read scripture, you're going to see uh, those those disciplines, you know, that solitude, study, fasting. All those. So I don't think it's cultural at all. I think it's we do it in a way that is, I think, clearly aligned with scripture with Daniel, the way you said. So, no, I haven't seen a difference. And a thing you and I talked about when we were talking offline is we're also not the only religion that fasts. Totally. Every, so it not only is it not a racial divide, it's not a religious divide. Absolutely. We just fast to a God who is living. That's Absolutely. The I mean, that's what Ramadan is. Ramadan is a whole season of giving up something, but it's such a it's such a, a self mortification practice that I mean, it, almost every religion has some aspect of self denial to it. Yes, so yeah. Yes. Um, okay. This one connected a lot with me. I have a tendency toward overeating. Same same <laughs> is what our friends asking. When I fast, after I finish fasting, I overeat a lot. I want to practice this part of worship, but I don't know how to do it in a healthy way that's separated from how I feel about my body. So, can you talk a little bit about like how do we come off a fast? Whether it's you know you you eat you don't eat from three p.m. till the next morning and you go bananas at breakfast. And, and, you know, there is that tendency of like deny, 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 over serve. So how do we come off a fast really well? So I am not a super, I don't think I'm very good with moderation when it comes to food. I love food. So I tend to do better with abstinence. And so, so for me, moderation, when my fast is after three and I'm starting back up the next day, that's harder than when I don't fast, when I don't eat all week. So what I usually do, and this is not going to be exciting. No one's going to cheer for this, but it has worked for me when I do it. What I try to do, and I think it's just a mind game. I play a a self-discipline mind thing with myself. I will try to extend my my time of when I can eat by maybe an hour. Um, like if I know I can eat at six in the morning, I just try to tell myself, just eat at seven because really it is also about this ability to say no, just to say no to yourself. Um, and when that's when it's a daily thing. I'll just try to add an extra 30 minutes. Or if I know we're supposed to stop eating at three, sometimes I'll be like, I'm stopping at two today. It is just a thing for me because I want to, I discipline my body, right? Paul's like, I, my body cannot be met. It is so strange, but I will have these self, I have this self-talk in my head. And I'm like, my body cannot be dictating to my mind how I feel. Right. This is not, this is not okay. Because when I'm able to say no to the cookie or to the overeating or to the whatever, man, you better believe when the unethical choice comes up about money or my body or sexual purity, I got a benchmark. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to build up my resume that yes. I know how to deny my body. Oh, and come so on. it becomes a whole whole thing. And I'll say this last thing, boop, boop, we're fist bumping, y'all. We're Can fist see bumping. Y'all um, don't see I'm my hands are in there. <laughs> but this is the last thing I'll say. When we do it for the 21 days, I do the same thing. And so I will often try to go one more day, you know, just to be like, I can do this. I can do it. And God has been faithful almost every Daniel fast. We've been doing it now for about eight or nine years. There's been something I've not returned to. A breakthrough on that 22nd day. Yeah. It's small stuff like Chick-fil-A lemonade. It sounds so small, but it was, I broke my fast with it one day. Yeah. And I'm telling you, the Lord graced me with a migraine that was ungodly. And I was like, like, like we do, okay, this sin or this thing doesn't, not that Chick-fil-A lemonade is a sin, Certainly. but when you do the thing and it doesn't feel good, we're like, oh, let me just keep doing it till I get used to it. <laughs> Right. So, I got to retrain my body to take in the bad stuff. I to drink this cup of sugar. And so right. I did it. I, I was training like two or three days in a row. I was like, I got to go back to my lemonade. And my body was like, no, ma'am. And so every single pass, there's been something that he's been like, 
it's fine. Just let it go. And so it's been good. But I think pushing that boundary beyond like where your freedom point is, like yes. making yourself an extra 30 minutes, further. extra half a day. Yeah. Yep. It really helps. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times when I'm fasting, I say things like when my body will grumble or my mind will say, I can't do this. I'm I'm fasting breakfast and lunch and it's three o'clock and I can't wait till five o'clock. I say to myself, oh, really? Oh, tell me more. Tell me, I mean, I just like get in a fight with my bot, with my my mind and my body, get in a fight with my spirit. Where my spirit's like, "Oh, you think you can't? Yes, you can." Yes, like it is can. almost like we have to coach ourselves into Absolutely. discipline because you're right. What how we treat food is how we treat sex is how we treat other people is how we. If we cannot deny our bodies, we are going to live in a world of lacking self control. And I don't want to lack self control in any area. Yeah, and I, I can tell you, I was I was really irritated with myself when we first started doing this, and I was hooked on Diet Coke. I was finishing up a master's program, and that's one of the things I never returned back to. And so I. I remember those first couple of days, grab the shakes. Cause I'm not a coffee drinker. So I got all these other sources of caffeine and I was like, <laughs> to open my car door, my keys to shake. I was like, what is happening? And then I was so bothered that a substance did that to my body when in its absence, I was just irritated about the whole thing. And so, and I probably was irritated because I didn't have no diet Coke. So <laughs> right. uh, it was just so much. And me and God had to have a whole conversation. I was like, this is not okay. Like, if I want to drink a Diet Coke, sure. But I don't want to have to drink a Diet Coke. We, we, we've branched into something different. And people go through it, Annie. When we have our fast, they get headaches from the coffee. They get whatever. And I said, y'all, it's okay to feel the pain of something that you are dependent on leaving your body. That's okay. That's good, Jada. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Because when I first get, if, I, if I'm a recovering addict, I'm not thrilled about the first time I have to turn down alcohol or drugs. It's okay. It's okay to feel that wrestle. It's okay. Let that thing leave your body and every headache and every whatever, take an Excedrin, take whatever. But you're telling yourself, this is something that I am breaking dependence on. And that that's better than the cup of coffee. <laughs> In my weekly discipline, I don't usually get headaches or I don't. my body doesn't have a response. But when you get to uh, three days or seven days or something longer, I take medicine if I have a migraine. I'm like, listen, th- God didn't say I have to sit here and feel all this. I'm already not eating. I'm already praying more than I pray. I don't have to live through a migraine. I can end. Okay. So this leads to another great question though. We are being very careful to not give medical advice because we are not doctors, but on those mornings where I take a migraine, if I have to eat a saltine or if I have to do something to keep, to take medicine that I need to take, I, I don't think God ignores me over a saltine. Absolutely. And it's not fasting is not to make you unhealthy, right? So we are, there's inference that when Jesus went into the desert for 40 days of fasting, he went as a healthy, well-fed man. Like he wasn't malnourished. And then God said, let's tack on 40 more days. It's like, I mean, we're coming from a healthy place, but there's been times where I had, I've had to take a medicine. My allergies are getting the best of me and I know I got to go do something and I will usually take it. I can kind of tell in an hour or so, oh, this is making me queasy. Let me get a cracker. But let me tell you something. Every time there's a moment, there's an opportunity to say no to self. What I really want is my Ritz Butterclip cracker. Yes, but you know what? Yep. Let me do a saltine. Let me do a piece of bread. I'm not even a big bread. Even let me do something. I'm not trying to necessarily enjoy this. this it's is not function. a cheeseburger. I have it's, a head. Right. <laughs> it's a saltine. Yeah, I need some fries. <laughs> I need some seasoned fries. <laughs> to go with this Claritin. That's the right. Claritin says... 
take with season five. With season five, Annie, what choice did I have? What choice did I have? Okay, so speaking of people, this is a good one too. This is a great question. I want to fast and tend to eat lunch with coworkers during the week. How do I navigate not being obvious when, when my absence and my lack of eating will be noticed? That's great because in Matthew, Matthew says, you know, put oil on your head. Don't let anybody know you're fasting. Keep it to yourself. And so how do you do that? How do you exist with coworkers when you're fasting? Yeah, and that's something you really have to be prayerful about. Because I think if it's one or two people that you have a relationship with, ask the Lord, this may be the opportunity for you to sit there with your glass of water and chit-chat, chit-chat, and they ask you why you're not eating. You're like, well, it's kind of a thing I'm doing right now. If it's a large group of people, then maybe you take a smoothie and maybe you give up another meal. So it's not to be a distraction, but before we run to the fact that this is going to be a distraction, there may be opportunity. And so I've had those situations where I'm like, it's okay. I'm about to sit at this table because sometimes I'm not fasting. I'm just trying to get my life together. And I'm like, (laughs) no carbs, just no carbs. You know what I'm saying? And you know what? I think when we're just doing it for ourselves, we don't have a problem saying, oh, no dessert for me. Because then everybody's going to ask you, why are you not eating dessert? You're like, well, I'm totally in a cleanse and all this stuff. Right, right, right. I don't think it, I don't think you have to call attention to it. And if someone's asking, it could be that this is a moment for you to introduce fasting to them. If it's a large group, then you may just want to go along, go along and, and figure out another way where you make that cut. But I, I'm just saying, don't run to the fact that, oh, I got to eat because everybody's there. Assume opportunity over distraction. Okay, so this is a great question. How do you keep the attitude of using fasting to draw near to God and not using it as a means to get what you want or what you're praying for? Similarly, I think this is second one is really interesting. If you're purposely using the fast to bring a specific issue or request to the Lord, which I do, I'm sure you do too, Jada, how do you not have resentment if what you spent your time praying about is answered with a no? Oh, that's so good. That is so good. And on my spiritual days. (laughs) Right. Let's talk about on our best days and on our worst days. (laughs) Uh, On my spiritual days, on my worst days, I'm like, God, really? Seriously, I, I said no to key lime pie and you know me. Have you met me? What, what's happening here? And so, but on my spiritual days, I really, before I go into the fast, I do a couple things. I try to look at my calendar. What might be coming up? What might be a trigger? Make it hard, blah, blah, blah. But then I also start thinking through what is, what do I want to get out of this fast? Because I think it's hard to not be resentful if I went in with kind of the wrong goal. And so even though I would love for God to answer, heal, provide, da, 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 my main goal is a closeness and a nearness. And so God, I want to be near to you. These are some things that are on my heart, but but the nearness is most important. So I think you can want those things, but if they're not the grand goal, then you'll never be disappointed. So let's say you fast on a Thursday for a thing that's supposed to happen on Friday. The answer that happens on Friday is because you fasted and prayed. It may not be what you want, but the answer you got on Friday is because you fasted and prayed. Or if you don't get the answer till next Thursday, you still get to say, well, I fasted and prayed. And what we won't ever know is if that would have come later without the fast. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're still pursuing this nearness, then you might have more revelation and more more comfort that even when it wasn't your answer, it was still God's answer. And that that comes from the nearness, right? Because if I'm not near him, I'm just waiting on him to do what I want. But if I'm like near, he'll be like, okay, I just need you to know, girl, this thing might not go the way you're thinking, but it's still me. And I've been in that situation where I've seen the thing go uh, in a different direction than what I wanted, but the nearness was my assurance, right? It's though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your nearness, your comfort, your presence, that's what gives me comfort, um, not the avoidance or the deliverance or the light in the shadow. I mean, it's just like, 
sometimes I'm still walking through the thing, but his presence is the sweetest part. And God, I don't know if I would have felt your presence like this had I not stripped away a few physical comforts. And so it's at the end of the day, I think it's hard, but we have to just want God more than we want stuff from God. And that's just hard. I said food. You said stuff from God. I was like, we got to have more of food. <laughs> Season fries. Season fries. That's right. Um, okay, so let's listen to our friend who called in with this question. Hey, Annie. I have some practical questions about fasting. The first being about fasting in children and how do you explain it to them and this kind of spiritual practice of not eating but for Jesus because um, you know the kids will come up with, with fun ways to throw that back at you. Like, I don't want peas for dinner because I'm fasting from peas for Jesus. Um, but also because I keep hearing this concept of, oh, you know, you, the time that you spent cooking and eating, you should spend with God. And I think you have a hard time doing that when you're cooking still and making dinner for other people. Um, and then do you leave them at the table while you go spend time quietly alone? Or do you spend time with them and then just make it up on the back end? <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know how that works out from a practical standpoint um, when you have kiddos and need to feed kiddos and need to make sure they don't choke. And then also, as they get older, you know, have conversations with them. That's one of the few times we get to connect. So I'd love some advice on that. I have littles, and so they're four, almost five and eight. And so it just evolved. When they were young, young, I just like, you got to eat, whatever. But then as they got older, now with the Daniel fast, I will say, hey, kiddos, this week, we are going to give us something we really love because we love Jesus more. And now I let them pick. So I won't make them skip a meal. Give up your candy on the weekend or give up your... Okay, what's your favorite toy? Okay, not until the end of the week or whatever. But then also I don't eat with them. And so I started doing that probably a year or two ago where I could really explain it to them. And they're like, mom, why are you not eating? I'm like, well, because um, right now, even though I love food, I'm not having it because I really love Jesus more. And so right now I'm just going to kind of make sure I'm focused on Jesus. And I just explain it really simple. And then that's it. Like they accept whatever you tell them. Now, my discipline has been, I tend to nibble while I cook. And so, uh, I really had to go into that. It sounds so ridiculous to have to pray for these things, but those little things, they kind of break your discipline, you know, so they become an excuse. And then you've nibbled literally a whole portion of food after by the time you've cooked. Uh, so um, I had to go into dinner, like going in, get my mind like, hey, no, do not eat out of the pot. Do not, do not. And yeah, you slip up sometimes. I don't beat myself up, but I try to go in very aware because otherwise, like we do with a lot of things, we'll be like, this doesn't count. It counts. And so um, this is so crazy. It may just be me, but if you've ever fasted, there's something like liberating or empowering about feeling that hunger pain. Yes. Number one, knowing that your body is actually empty because we most of the time don't get to that. And number two, knowing that I'm hungry, but I'm not near death. I can say no. I got this. There's something. I don't know. It's something about it for me. I mean, I love that feeling of like, you know, who's not in control? My body. I mean, it is, I I love the feeling of feeling like my flesh is submitting to my spirit. It also hurts and it makes me cry and it makes me mad and I get hangry like everybody else. But then you have this moment of like, oh yeah, you know who's not going to win? My body that is is not eternal. My body is not eternal. So it does not win. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And we had to go to a pizza party one time and my, the kids were all having pizza. It was a birthday party and pizza literally is my spiritual nemesis. <laughs> if I could be stranded, if I had to be stranded on an island and had one comfort food, pizza. it would be pizza. Yeah. If I had two, it'd be pizza and seasoned fries. If you can <laughs> tell. So pizza, literally, if I could 
marry the pizza. <laughs> I'll be like, yes, come to my life. So we're at this pizza party. And um, fortunately, I do have some pretty good pizza taste. So I don't always like kids pizza. But we were there and it was a good pizza place. I was like, oh my gosh, who picked this place for kids party? <laughs> so the lady was like, oh, there's extra. And this is the adult pizza over here. It's nice and fancy, blah, blah, blah. And then I was literally looking at it. And my son goes, my mom is not having pizza today because she loves Jesus more. No. Gosh. Accountability. The accountability. <laughs> I was like, you know what? You go jump on the trim. What? Just uh-huh. go over there. Please. Go play. Go play. But then I couldn't. And I was kind of glad I had explained it to them because the lady, they they didn't go to our church, but she knew. She said, Oh, are y'all fasting? I said, Yes. She said, Girl, say no more. I say, oh, Thank you, son. <laughs> okay. So, my last question, Jada, is your life markedly different because fasting is a discipline that's a part of your life? Yes. And I would say it could be even more. I wish that there are times that I I just know God is calling me to give up something. But man, January, uh, there's a time in the summer, there's a time in the fall that sick like sick seasonally I'll do it. It it has changed the game for me, honestly. And and my my concern is that I don't I wish I pressed into it more because by February, March, and you get into, I'm back into my regular. And then I'm sad because I'm like, January and February are such great months. So if I could just stay in it and, you know, if your life is not always consistent, if you travel, if you, you know, don't always eat at home, there's a lot of things that can play into that. But, but I will say this, God has really shown me about giving, like I said, just a general principle of self-denial. Like I'm a music junkie. I don't get in my car without the music on or a podcast on. I love this. It's on when you come in my house all the time. And there are times where I'm driving somewhere far and God will be like, no, silence. I'm like, oh my gosh, but I could be listening to this audiobook or to this song or to this. And that's just, that's just something that may happen on a day. Like I just need to clear my mind. Or he'll say, Hey, unless it's, you know, do you have anything urgent? I'll be thinking through it. No phone calls until for the next hour. No text. Just don't do anything. And I'll be like, Ugh. so it's not always food, but I think that the general principle of giving up things that have become distractions have have shifted my I want to say I'm more godly. I think I can more quickly be near to God. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like I can just more quickly get into a space of, okay, calm, simple, quiet. All right, God. And sometimes he says nothing. He's just like, I just want you to be quiet. I don't have no deep revelation. Just clear your mind. (laughs) So the girl I mentor, when we were talking about it last week, I said, sometimes fasting is just depositing into an account so that God can draw from it in the future. Absolutely. So that when you fast next time, it's not the first time you've ever done it. And you spend the first two days mad. That's right. And when Jesus, remember, there's a point where, where the disciples are trying to cast out demons and Jesus, and they aren't able to do it. And Jesus shows up and he's able to do it. He says, well, these only come out by prayer and fasting. But we don't know that Jesus was fasting right then. What we know is he prayed and he fasted. And to me, there is a bank account that that stuff deposits in that the Lord goes, I can write that check right now because in 2021, you fasted for two days and in 2022 I needed that mm-hmm. Pretty good. Yes. let's deposit yes. let's deposit oh Jada I love you thanks for doing this Yay. thanks Annie oh man Ash she's brilliant Absolutely. I mean, that language about self-denial, as the Lord does, we're going to see that continue to show up in these other two conversations, even though all three of these were recorded independently on the same couple of days. But independently, I'm super, super impressed with that. 
So just like we played an audio clip of a question from a friend for Jada, we have one for you as well. So let's go ahead and listen to this question. Hey, Annie. Another question for you is about breaking fast and y'all's advice there. I did a sunset to sunset fast after hearing you and John Mark Comer were discussing it um, on the podcast. And I caught myself really stressed out about when exactly sunset is. I ended up looking on an app on my phone to say when the official sunset is in my area. And then I watched the clock a little too closely. And so I was curious about advice, both on kind of having a good attitude or maybe the right mindset to approach that end of fast. If there's any sort of, um, I don't want to say ritual, but the practice there that would make sense. And then also, you know, afterwards I found myself overeating a bit, which felt, which physically didn't feel good, but then also didn't feel like the right kind of way to wrap that practice up. So I would love some advice for breaking your fast as well. Oh my gosh, this friend, bless her heart. I I get it. I totally get it. Sunset to sunset is what you're saying. I tend to talk more meal to meal. Mm -hmm. So I think we can let go of that, of the rules that you may have heard John Mark and I say, as far as sunset at 637, that is not, you don't have to stop eating at 637. Right. I would say if, if you're doing sunset to sunset, that means you are stopping after dinner and you are not eating again until the next night's dinner. Right. And so that, I think that is more a healthier mindset for me is I go, if I'm fasting today, that means I do not eat today from when I wake up. Till I go to bed, I do not eat. Right. I drink, I do not eat. Uh, but if the if I'm doing something like Jada talked about, where I'm going until three p.m. Right. Also, that like our friend mentioned, the 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 temptation to overeat is certainly there because you're hungry. Right. But as Jada also talked about, it's an ease out. It's a slow out. Maybe a banana, maybe an apple, maybe something at three o'clock that is not a meal that sets you up to still eat dinner with your people. Right. All these questions say a thing to me about how much our friends care. Yes. So earnest. Yeah. And and so, yay, good. Do the best you can. Uh, You know, if the sun has set and you are halfway through your dinner, the Lord would love for you to finish your dinner. Right. It will be, it will be fine. He knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. Um, the other question I want to do before we introduce our next guest, because again, we are not medical professionals. Um, so we have pulled aside the medical questions because we just can't answer them. Right. So as people here, Christine talks about when she was pregnant, how she handled fasting. So there were a lot of questions about pregnancy and breastfeeding and what you do fasting-wise during those. Right. Uh, spoiler alert, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. Did you fast while you were pregnant with either of your girls? No. Gosh, no. Yeah. If I may say, I also, during those seasons when I wasn't fasting as a regular rhythm, I also found aspects of pregnancy and nursing to be some of the moments of like the closest um, communion with the Lord that I've ever had. So there's not a, there's not a way in which that felt as if I, I got further away from him because I paused that rhythm. Yes. That's beautiful. That's exactly right. So one of the questions that I got is, how does fasting look different for me because I've been diagnosed with PCOS? This friend also has PCOS and has been hesitant to fast. And again, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. This is not for everyone. But for me and my body, for all sorts of reasons, um, but PCOS has never gotten in the way of my fasting gotcha. spiritual discipline. Also, as as they will, our friends will hear us say 
in the future. If I do any kind of fast longer than my birthday fast, the one a seven day, even the seven day one, my counselor, my pastor, my doctor all know. Yep. And so the, because those three know, if something goes sideways with my body, uh, because of PCOS or anything else, I have resources. Yeah. I have people that are in with me in that. Uh, we had a ton of questions, Ashley, come in from our friends who are concerned about eating disorders, how to handle fasting as a spiritual discipline when they want to be mostly concerned about their body. Mm-hmm. And join the club. Sure. We are, Same. I, that, this is, and people have heard the answer, people answered this already, but the interesting thing is we got a couple of questions like, why would we talk to mostly women about this? Yeah. And it's this part. Yeah. This is the part that is different because culture tells women, American culture tells women to be a certain size and not a number, but just smaller than you are. Yes. Currently. Take up less space than you Take do. Take up less space than you do right now. And that has clipped some fasting wings mm-hmm. and some of our female friends. So... Andy Culver's here. I adore her. Y'all remember she was on episode 196. She's a licensed therapist and author of the book, Try Softer. She's a trauma-informed therapist, and she's such a wise and gentle voice. I think you're really going to find her perspectives here healing and helpful. So here is a couple more of your questions answered by our friend, Andy Culver. Andy, welcome back to That Sounds Fun. Yay. Oh, it's good to be back with you. I'm so happy you're here. I love anytime you're on. I just need you to keep writing books or keep having things so that we get to talk on in front of everyone. It would make me so happy. So keep on keeping on. I love it. And I'm, I'm working on it. Okay, good. Okay, good. I reached out to you as part of this fasting conversation because such a big part of fasting, particularly for women, is what goes on in your mind. So will you tell a little bit about your counseling background and and kind of who you are in case our friends are meeting you for the first time and your story with fasting and how it is a part of your life as a spiritual discipline? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm I'm, I'm really honored. And I love that you would bring in some mental health perspectives to this because I think um, historically, we haven't always done that well in the church, you know, and it really matters. And so I'm just so glad. I'm glad to be able to talk about this because I think it's about, you know, the wholeness and fullness of who we are as people. Um, yeah, so I am a licensed professional counselor in Castle Rock, Colorado. And I often say that I'm a, I'm a trauma-informed therapist. And, and what I mean with that, it's a big idea, but it means that the work that I do is so much more than just talk therapy. It's really about honoring that we literally hold our stories in our bodies, meaning the lives we've lived, the pain we've experienced, the joy we've lived, it's encoded in our bodies. And even without words, our bodies express our stories. And so a lot of the work that I do is about learning, um, helping folks to really learn to attune to their bodies, to honor their bodies, to listen to their nervous systems and their cues. Um, Often that's to help heal trauma, but it's also just a part of being human. And I think it's a bigger picture of this is what it means to be made in the image of God. And so part of my story, um, I am a survivor of complex trauma 
And a part of my story that I actually haven't talked about a ton publicly, but I'm happy to share, is that I do have a history of disordered eating, um, particularly in my teen years and in college. And this was at a time where I was also an athlete. And so that was a complex world because I... And you were also a Christian at the time, right? Yes, I've been a Christian, really. I grew up... Um, as faith as a, as a part of my life. And, and I was definitely, that was a part of my life in my teen years and in college as well. And so you and I were talking just a minute before we hit record, but one of the things for me, and part of the reason why, honestly, I was like, yeah, I do want to talk about this is, um, you know, I remember being in high school and I think I was like a junior, you know, I was already on varsity. I was, I was a, a pretty decent basketball player, but, um, there, there were some folks doing some fasting and I, I decided I wanted to participate, particularly fasting from food. So it's like the beginning of basketball season. I think it's like my first or second day, like we get back into tryouts, which is usually the hardest days. Right, right. And bless my heart. I, I did fast and I, at the end of the, of the second night, or I think I wasn't completely fasting, but I was like really cutting back from like eating enough food to be doing the level of activity I was. And at the end of the night, I, you know, I was dizzy and I almost fainted and I started to feel sick. And then I was like, oh, like, I don't think I'll be able to, to participate in basketball <laughs> if I'm, if I'm doing this. And it was one of those times in my life where at that time I felt some shame because I felt like, oh man, I should, I should be able to do this, you know, but what I was missing was the context of so much, you know, at that time I had so much unaddressed trauma. I had, I had a history and, uh, you know, experiences with disordered eating and that was absolutely playing into my decision. Like, Ooh, I'll work out more. And if I'm eating less. Yeah. And it's spiritual. And it's spiritual. And here's the thing. And I have so much compassion for that younger me. You know, I think um, there was a lot happening below the surface that I wasn't even able to acknowledge cognitively, which definitely influences the work that I do now, that sometimes those stories we hold in our body, we're not even in a place where we're able to acknowledge them in a conscious way. Which is why this discussion on fasting, particularly around food, matters so much because there are ways we can learn to listen to our bodies and really participate with God in listening to say, in what way, God, can I you know, walk with you to, to really move towards the goal of, of spiritual formation here? How can this this work be done in a way that yes, like I want to experience God, but I also don't want to create more harm. Yeah. So when we're looking at the questions, just for our friends listening, we took every question that came in and split them up between what they've heard me answer independently, what they've heard Jada and I talk about, what they'll hear you and I talk about, and what they'll hear Christine and I talk about. 
And so we aren't going to go through every single question, but yours that we specifically put in this section, I mean, we in an overwhelming amount of questions were pretty much the same question. I have a history with eating disorders. I have a history with disordered eating in some way. And on the our friends listening know that that is true about me too. I wrote about it in one of my books. I saw a disordered eating counselor for a while. Like that is part of my history as well. I, I don't know a lot of women who don't have some touch point with disordered eating at some point in their lives. So uh, I'll just read you the first question, but this is, for our friends listening, this is one of about 70 questions that this is the question. (laughs) I have a history of disordered eating and restricting feels like a potentially slippery slope. So what are your suggestions? So I think the first thing I want to just say, because I didn't even say it in the first part, is that I think the idea of fasting and and just really the concept can really be beautiful. It, there's a there's a lot of good there. That's it's not bad that you want to say like God, I I want to meet you, right? And there's something really holy that there can be something really holy about our discomfort. And I think in a sense, that's what fasting gets at is that when we have this element of discomfort. We can connect to a God to God in a potentially a way that we can't when we're really comfortable, yes, right? Yes. So there's some good to that. But what you and I have also talked about is that there's a difference between discomfort and harm. And I believe with everything I in like everything in me that God does not want us to harm ourselves. That we are called like discomfort can be holy. But harm is not. And so much of this conversation is really about that, right? So this, this person who's, who's asked this question, so thank you for asking this question. And thank you for even there that like, this feels like a slippery slope. First, I want to say, pay attention to that. That's a good thing to be aware of. That is actually your body giving you information, your God-given body. It works like that on purpose to bring that up to your awareness to say something here is not right. And if we go back to that question of, is this going to produce life or is this going to produce death? Does this, is this discomfort that will produce growth or is this harm that will produce death? And that's where we really want to know there's a big difference. And so what I would encourage folks to be aware of is that generally speaking, if there's a history of eating disorders, disordered eating, also potentially trauma, uh, childhood trauma, abuse, essentially, if there are patterned stories of harm that live in your body, um, you are not bad. You are not less than. But what that means is, is that... um, that can potentially influence us in acting in ways that aren't really truly in alignment with what God has for us. And this is where curiosity and creativity can be helpful. So for example, for me, like the way that fasting in my own life looks like, like honestly, social media is probably my number one thing that I regularly fast from. And I do that just really recognizing on so many levels that sometimes I literally need this space and clarity so that I can hear God, so that I can connect with God in a way 
that it's just not possible when I've got however millions of people like out in the world saying what they have to say. And so for me personally, that is a spiritually formative practice that builds that it, it moves me towards life. I feel more like myself, not less. And so for folks who are wondering about these questions, this is a really important one. Like when you engage this practice, what's the fruit? What's being born? What is coming from it? Like, can you hear God more clearly? Are you honoring your body in a way that feels more in alignment with what God has for you? Not what the scale says your values based on, not what a clothes size says, not what like anybody else, but like the true wholeness that resides in you. Like, does that feel more intact? And I think that's part of the way we know with any spiritual discipline. As you're talking, I'm thinking about fasting versus dieting versus a cleanse. Because sometimes fasting and a cleanse can look really similar. But I almost have to do a pro-con list or a, uh, when I'm fasting, this is what this does mean and this is what doesn't matter. But when I'm doing a cleanse, I'm trying to, something feels wrong in my body. I'm trying to get healthier in my body. So it is okay if I'm thinking about my body changing. Does that feel true? It does. It does. And I do think that, that even, you know, and, and this is not me saying, because I really like to make sure that I don't, one of the things I say is I don't give advice. Yes. We, and we've talked about, we are being descriptive, not prescriptive. Yes. We're not medical. I, well, you are a medical professional. I'm not a medical professional. We are not physicians. There you go. I'm not a, I'm not a physician. Yes. But what I would just say is that even cleanses for some folks can also be triggering. And so I just, I just honor that. And that's why I say like, there is a lot of nuance to the folks that are going to be hearing what I'm saying here. When I talk from a trauma informed perspective though, essentially, and honestly, this feels like right in line with Jesus to me is that I'm thinking about the person who has been the most harmed. And I want to the best of my ability, the words that I say to also be applicable there as much as to the, to the person who's like, yeah, I've experienced a little bit of hardship, but I'm okay. Right? Like there's this sense in which we are honoring the spectrum of it. Because we do have questions from people that are very actively still having eating disorders. So we do have the whole spectrum of people asking questions, people who are in recovery and people who are not yet in recovery. So when you asked me to do this, it was so interesting because this verse came in my brain and, um, and it was from Isaiah 58, six. I don't know if you know this one, no, not by but heart. it's like, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. And the reason, you know, so, so in the book of Isaiah, you know, it's essentially like right before then, um, the, the people are um, doing a certain kind of fasting and they look really humble. And, you know, the author's talking about that. But I love that there's this verse, right? And here's what's so helpful to me about it is, Here's this other picture of fasting. This is a picture of fasting that's actually about freedom. This is a picture of fasting that's about untying the yokes, right? So for those of us who have a history where we have lived in bondage, 
where maybe your entire life, the narrative that's been living in your body is you don't deserve goodness. You don't deserve food. You don't deserve to be loved. You have to work harder. So what would it look like, right? So if we go back to that that discomfort idea that is holy, to say, you know what? It's sometimes really uncomfortable for me to receive goodness. Is that a spiritual formation practice? Is that a sense that there's a fasting element to saying, kind of like in Isaiah, like there's a freedom that comes from this type of discomfort too. And so, you know, for folks who are listening, who really resonate with like, this is my story. Because we don't, and this is not my direct quote, I can't remember who to give it to, but like we can't heal in the same way we've been harmed. We actually have to do something different. And so I just want to encourage folks, like how can you be creative to be able to say, okay, what is it that God's calling me to? What's God asking from me? And is there a way to allow God to meet you in that journey in a way that's really specific to you, right? So like if connection has always felt really painful, what would it look like to have one small step, right? Like it's not this huge thing, but like maybe this is your discomfort practice that allows you to meet God where you say, you know what? I'm just going to be, I'm just going to text one person every day. Or like, I'm going to try this one group in this way. Um, These are just like examples of, I think God is so creative and really empowers us to do this work with the picture of where are we going? Yeah. How do we get there in a way that really leads us to wholeness? Yeah. Okay, Andy, that makes me think, let, let's listen to Lydia's question that she sent in, because I would love for you to tie what you're saying to what Lydia has to ask. Hi, Annie and friends. My name is Lydia. Thank you so much for hosting this conversation about fasting. As someone who struggles with my body, with its size and its shape, and who struggles to love and honor my body well in its current form, how do I engage in fasting in a way that honors God and not in a way that engages with body shame or with concerns about trying to fix my body? How do I separate the spiritual discipline of fasting from my own shame and anxiety about how my body looks? Lydia, that's such a good question. And it's so, um, it's so valid. And I think a lot of people have questions similar to that. And, you know, kind of like I was saying in the earlier part of the show, but I'll tie this in that, you know, I would encourage you to consider if fasting is going to actually be life-giving in the sense that you may not be in a place where um, you're able to do it in a way that's not harmful for you. And and what I mean by that is food, like fasting from food specifically. Um, And I say that like 
even as soon as that leaves my mouth, do you know what I feel? Is I feel like there will be this backlash from folks who are like, but, but that makes me bad. That makes me less than. That means maybe I don't have as much faith. And what I just, maybe if that's a question that's coming up for you as you hear me begin to address that, is to say that Jesus was always centering and loving and attuning and attending to the people who really were in the most pain, who were hurting, who were needing the most support. And I just want you to hear that if that's you, Jesus is already right there, like, like moving towards you. So please know that not doing something as a way to honor your own limits is so loving and so in line with the heart of God. And with that said, this other question, like, so I don't, you know, so I don't shame myself. And so I don't do these things. I think the question that I would then want to ask, encourage you to explore Lydia or anybody else is, is there a way to dip your toe into this idea of really um, honoring (laughs) this body that has carried you, that has lived so much life, that has held your pain, that has allowed you to take up as much space as you have needed? So going back to this idea of discomfort, if that sounds uncomfortable to you, could that be a clue that this is a place to press in? And I say that like we want to do that with honor. Like we we always want to be checking in with ourselves because if this is your story, if you go too fast, it can actually create a whiplash where then you're like, actually, I really don't like my body. You know, like if you push too fast, and this is where, again, going back, harm versus discomfort, always keeping that in mind. So not to like, not to, not to push this, but I like in my, I just released, it's called the, the Trisopter Guided Journey. And a part, a lot of what I do, um, there are several practices that really help folks first engage with what is even your line? Like, where's the line in your body where it goes from discomfort to harm? How do you learn that though, Andy? How do you know where that line is? Because that's I'm thinking about Lydia and, I, and of myself and a lot of our friends. Like, we decide to try fasting for a day, and we're fine at breakfast, and then at lunch, how do we know if we're if it's discomfort? or harm? How do we know whether to push through and go like, I'm going to do this discipline for this one day or for this one meal? How do we know where the line is like, this is uncomfortable and where the line is like, okay, now, now my brain is not healthy. I need to honor that. Great question. I think a couple of cues that I would say is one is, is if you begin to feel really disconnected from your body, that's actually a sign. Like you're fighting against your body. Yes. Like that will usually come first. And, and again, the discomfort is, is that, okay, like this is discomfort, but I can ride it like a wave, right? Usually that's what it means to be uncomfortable. Like I can stay with this. I can ride it like a wave. It's like I can lean in, but I'm still, I'm, I'm present. I am myself, right? Harm typically looks like literally I'm fighting myself or it goes beyond that to, I just don't even feel connected to myself. 
Like, I don't know what's happening in my body. If someone asked me, like, like, are you hungry? I'd be like, I, I, I literally don't even have any idea anymore. That's actually a sign that you might be dissociating and, and that's a survival mode sort of like essentially stress and or trauma response. And so those are some clues that this is crossing over that line. Hey friends, would love to share with you about our incredible partner, ID Tech Camp. About this time every school year, I start hearing from some of my mini BFFs parents about how their kiddos are struggling in their math classes. Math can be tough, right? At least until students are able to connect the concepts to things that matter to them in real life. If you've got a student who's having a tough time with math or really any STEM classes, ID Tech is here to help. ID Tech instructors are specialists at taking abstract concepts and making them relatable so that they can help students latch on to math and other STEM subjects as actual interests. Right now, ID Tech is offering a great deal. You can get started with the one-on-one tutoring lessons for just $49 or save $150 on weekly small group semesters. ID Tech is where kids and teens learn from the best. With one-on-one tutoring and weekly small group semesters, there's something for every kid, every interest, every skill level. Y'all, those ratios are amazing for supporting learning and retention. Take it from this former elementary school teacher. Scheduling is fast and flexible, which is crucial with how busy I know y'all are. They've got options that are guaranteed to fit your family's schedule. So go to idtech.com slash that sounds fun right now and use the code that sounds fun to save $150 on weekly small group semesters. For a limited time, you can also get started with a one-on-one tutoring lesson for just $49. That code that sounds fun at idtech.com slash that sounds fun saves you $150 and your child can start learning online from a live instructor right now. idtech.com slash that sounds fun. And now back to our Q&A about faith and fasting. Another one of our friends asked, how do we talk about fasting in a way that isn't triggering for our friends who struggle with disordered eating? So maybe it isn't us. There is, we've gotten multiple questions from women saying, well, I live in America, so I'm affected by the desire for thinness, but I don't have a history with eating disorders. And this, I love this question. Like, how do we, how can I do this and not trigger my friends that are in the middle of a hard season with eating disorders? How do we talk about it with our friends? Sometimes it's just really helpful to ask, to say, hey, do you feel comfortable talking about this? And if not, it's okay. And if they say, you know what? I don't think I do. Cool. Let's talk about something else. I think the biggest thing is, is really asking permission, consent. And obviously like we can't always, unfortunately, because it's just the, we, we are all so complex and messy. Like there's going to be a time where our stuff is going to sometimes interact with somebody else's stuff in a way that is, is triggering, right? It is just the nature of being human. Yes. And so for people who are hearing that both ways, if you are a person who has an, a, a history with this and this is triggering for you, I would encourage you to advocate for yourself. If you hear a friend saying this and this makes your body begin to go up into like fight or flight or even like you feel like you have to disconnect, I encourage you to say, hey, you know what? I don't really feel comfortable talking about this right now. Would it, would it be okay if we change the subject? 
or for example, so, so I think that can really go both ways. Right. And it makes me think of, you know, Jesus's command to love your neighbor as yourself. There is this, this mutuality, like I'm going to do my best to show up for you. I trust that you're going to do your best to show up for me. And in that, I'm also going to try to show up for myself and all of that working together creates more safety, more care, um, more sense of like, listen, if God is calling you to that, like bless you, (laughs) bless you. I pray it will be fruitful. I pray that you are able to hear God in ways you never have before. You know, I pray that. And may there be enough safety that if that's not the season that I'm in, if that's not okay for my body or someone else's body, would that we would have the safety built in that that person could say, you know what, I think I need to step out of this. And it feels a little bit like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about when Jesus talked about fasting and he kind of said like, don't let people know, keep it to yourself. And we've talked about with Jada and, we, and with Chris, this idea of having a couple of accountability people. So for me, if I'm doing a fast, my counselor, my doctor, and my pastor know. But outside of that, people don't know. And so I'm not necessarily talking at a dinner table about fasting that could accidentally trigger someone while I'm fasting, because already Jesus told us not to do that, right? Part of the thing is, is just keep doing your life and, and let go of food for a greater love, right? So I'm wondering about that too, Andy, about the, the safe people who, if for our friends that are really, and this is a couple of the questions, so our friends that are in the middle of disordered eating or have it in their history, who do they tell if they decide they want to try this spiritual discipline? Yeah. Well, I love what you're modeling there that you're talking, I absolutely would recommend um, be connected to a therapist if that's something that you're considering. Um, potentially a dietitian would be just as, uh, or someone who can help with nutrition and really understand um, that if that's something that you really feel called to, um, to really understand that this is something that is happening in, in many ways in the spiritual realm, but also in a physical we don't bypass our bodies. Yes. And so you really need that support. Um, And I, and I think, you know, like I think a pastor can be really be helpful if that feels safe to you. I think um, folks who you feel like if, when you sense in your body (laughs) that you can be who you really are with them, those are the people to pay attention to. Those are the people that, you know, you, and, and again, there's a whole wide spectrum, but usually our body gives us clues as to who is really safe, who we really feel safe with. Um, and if that idea is foreign to you, this is where I think therapy matters so much because this is often where we learn the templates. This is where we can have some reparative experiences Um, because for folks, for example, who've had childhood trauma, um, it's really common to not completely under, like your body can sometimes create a mismatch. Like for example, we might move towards people who actually aren't safe and we feel scared of people who are. Ah, yeah. And often that is about the story in our body, about where we've received some sort of connection in the past. 
And if the way you've been parented or socialized or cared for was in a, in a place that resulted in not being safe, without even being conscious of it, you may move towards folks like that. Man, our bodies and our brains. Fascinating, isn't it? It really is. And I, you know, I am constantly in awe. Like God gave us, like our bodies are, are phenomenal. Brilliant. Yes. I mean, we are obviously so fragile. We have, you know, we're human and finite, but I mean, the ways that our bodies can grow and change and give us information, it's phenomenal. I mean, you're something we say around here a lot is your body does not lie. If you're tired, you are actually tired. Your body doesn't know how to lie. It's your brain that lies to you. Your body doesn't lie to you. Your brain creates a story around the the autonomic state that you're experiencing. Ah, right. And this is why it's become so important to me uh, to really, I mean, all the work that they do is body centered. And obviously there's more than just that, right? Like we're talking and we're, there's, there was the relational aspect and there's, there's all this stuff, but the body, if there was a pyramid, the body would be at the bottom in the sense that it's the foundation. Everything comes through that lens. And so this is why I really, um, you know, really go hard after this idea that we, we don't bypass the body. It just, it does. And it exactly goes with what you're saying. We, the body doesn't lie. We had a couple of different people reach out who are teenagers and teenagers wanting to participate in fasting, but wanting to know how to do that well. Some reached out that had eating disorders or have struggled with eating disorders. And others just said, I'm, I'm young. I'm young. Can I do this if I'm young? Like I live with my parents or we had some single women reach out and say, I live with other people. What does it look like to fast when I'm a college student and I have, and I live in the sorority house and I have 15 roommates, right? So will you talk to young women for just a minute about how to incorporate this discipline and who should be involved with them? Yeah. Well, I think one thing to consider, and I haven't really touched on this, but it goes, it, it probably speaks to some things from earlier in, in the show too, or our conversation as well, is that if this is a new practice to you, one concept that you may sort of consider and try is this idea of, in, in the work that I do, it's like titration. And titration essentially means you don't go like, I'm going to do a seven-day fast, water only, boom, right. Right? Starting tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, like, no. I mean, really, yeah, there's like, I'm not even going to go there. No. But, but titration might be saying like, I feel led, you know, to the best of my ability. I believe God's calling me to this. I'm curious about it. I think this might be good. It might be saying something like, you know, I'm going to try for the next two days to skip my dinner. And I, and these are the people I'm going to tell about it. Here's how I'm going to make sure I have enough support. And here's what I'm going to do so that I am supported. Like not just like the relational piece really matters, but I would say like, you know, is it, what are you doing during that time? So that like, there is a sense in which, how can you get filled up from the absence that you're creating, right? So like, 
like this is really random, but I love, you know, I'm in Castle Rock, Colorado, and I love going walking and, and listen to worship music. Like for me, that just feels like that fills me up. I experience God when I'm moving differently than many other ways. So like that would be an example for me of putting a spiritual practice in and receiving. Yes, that's beautiful. Yes. In the space that's created. Right. So the two big things there are, well, actually three. The first is to, to do something that moves you towards this thing you're being led to in a way that feels doable. As you do it, make sure you're paying attention, right? That you're listening even to the cues of your body. Again and again, I say this, but that difference between harm and discomfort it matters in every single one of these things. Um, making sure you have accountability. If you do have a history of eating disorders, one of the things that can sometimes happen is silence and isolation can feed the part of us who feels like I'm going to do this and I'm just going to like keep it really, really quiet. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. It, it, it feeds that narrative, right? And so we want to be so mindful if it, that we really have good support, that you're really checking in with folks around that concept. Um, and then finally, having something to fill you up in the space. I mean, I also would like to say, and you can tell me I'm wrong, I super honor a young woman wanting to do this. I think it's beautiful, mm. right? Like mm -hmm. the, you're, there is no junior Holy Spirit. So there's not <laughs> yes. an age where it's appropriate to start certain spiritual disciplines. You can invite all of them into your life at any age. But it, it, what you're saying, particularly when you're living in your parents' home, particularly when you're, if you have any sort of eating thoughts that are not the healthiest, having some accountability, letting your parents know, having those people involved probably is really wise. Absolutely. And I think this is really that practice of holding all of this entire conversation we've had is about the practice of holding multiple truths, right? There's multiple, like, like we really, absolutely. It's beautiful that these young women are wanting to move closer and listen to, to what God, how God may be leading them. That's so beautiful. And that is not mutually exclusive, right? From this reality of honoring the information of our body, the reality that our culture is giving us messages all the time without us even being aware of it, about how we should be and how we should, all these things, right? And so all of this comes back to this idea that, you know, we're already so loved. We're so loved. And because that's true, we have the freedom like there's no rush. There's no, like God's not like, hey, I'm checking my watch. I can't believe that you're, da, da, da. you know, like we're so loved. Like that is the ground of our being. And so because that's true, in freedom, you can explore the ways that God may be calling you to be formed. Like you already belong. You already matter. God is already with you. He is already listening to your prayers. He is already attentive to what you are saying. Yes, that's exactly right, Andy. That's right. And so because from that freedom, may I, you know, that's my prayer for anybody who's listening, that you would move in that freedom to know that God um, empowers you to do whatever spiritual formation practices and disciplines that you need to become more aware 
of God already with you. Yes. Okay. The very last question that I've been asking, is your life different because of fasting? Absolutely. It is different in the sense that when I feel led, for me, it's always about creating spaciousness. Like that is the theme for me. The theme of saying this thing, whatever I feel like I'm led to, like it's, it's creating too much noise. And for me, it's always like really coming into alignment and centering with like, what is God saying to me? And I know that because my full self uh, is so like integrated and in alignment that I can, it's like, it's like ringing this really clear bell. And that's what it feels like when I allow and listen to uh, leaning into fasting. Beautiful. Andy, thank you. Thank you so much. What a healthy and helpful part of this conversation. It's my honor. Thank you so much for having me. Ashley, what did you think about Andi? Oh, I I teared up a couple of times just yeah. because the the tenderness with which she approaches um, all of mm-hmm. the wisdom that she shared is just um, it just feels so so dear and safe. Yes, when she talked about discomfort versus harm, I, that is that is a line in the sand oh. for me. What a what a brilliant, brilliant filter. We don't bypass our bodies. We don't bypass our bodies. Right. Which I also think is really interesting because our bodies are the not eternal part of us. <laughs> right. And yet but, they're the bottom of the triangle or the pyramid. It just can't be separated. Yeah. Until until eternity. It just yeah. can't be separated. We're yeah. we're whole beings yeah. with all of those things. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, here's a couple more questions that came in for me specifically. Uh, one friend says, Do you fast on a certain day, like a work day or a Sabbath or a weekend? I do not fast on my Sabbath. <laughs> there ain't no world. Nope. The, it, would ha- it would have to be a 911 fast. Yeah. In order for me to not feast on my Sabbath yeah. day with my friends. Uh, even my breakfast I make is usually what I spend a little more time on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I have that kind of time yeah. on a Sabbath. So I do not fast as a normal weekly rhythm on my Sabbath. It's a work day. It's yeah. just a work day. But yeah, and weekend, again, weekend would be hard. And I think you you need to be careful what your week looks like. I think there are days that the, my weekly fast does not align with we're having a work lunch. Right. Or there's someone's coming into the office or we're celebrating a new staff member. And so I will shift it that week. Yeah. But most weeks it's pretty aligned. Before we talk to Christine, this question, I think this one is, this is the one, this is the only one highlighted on the, of the hundred plus we got. We got, well, of the hundreds that we got. This is the only one I highlighted. I think it's really important. Here's the question. It feels like following Jesus in general and as a single woman in particular, already means giving up so much. Why do I have to sometimes give up food too? Oh, it's a beautiful question. Absolutely. There's a couple of answers. Our life, whether you are single or married, whether you have children or no children, our life with Jesus is about sacrifice. Mm. Take up your cross and follow him. So we are all sacrificing something. Your yes today meant a lot of no's today. True. And so we are all sacrificing. I understand so deeply the feeling of here is a full cup and I lose a quarter of that cup because of this and a quarter of a cup because of this. So I got to lose another quarter of that cup. So the question is a concern 
that I do not have enough, that, it, that everything's being taken from me. What I have found is true is my life with Jesus cost me some and gives me everything. Oh. My life as a single woman has cost me some and has given me everything. And my discipline of fasting has cost me some and has given me everything. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it, of course, it feels like we're giving up one more thing. Of course, that is true. And also, what you gain outweighs what you lose. Yeah. There's a sustaining that God can only do when we get to the end of ourselves. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. That's it. That's it. So so we hear you, friend, and we get it. And there yeah. are a lot of women who could say Jesus and blank plus fasting feels like too much. Right. And there's a, you know, Jesus plus my relationship with my family plus fasting feels like too much. Jesus plus my children plus fasting feels like too much. Jesus plus, I mean, Jesus plus anything plus fasting feels like too much. Right. I get it. Jesus plus not being married yet plus fasting feels like too much in my life too. Mm-hmm. I 100% hear you. And also, he's worth it. Right. He's worth it. He's worth it. Okay. Now, the volume difference between what just happened with Andy and what's about to happen with Chris is <laughs> significant. That's true. Chris and I are <laughs> ready to go. Uh, y'all know our sweet friend, Christine Kane, Australian-born, Greek-blooded, Jesus-loving Bible teacher, author, and activist. She's been on the pod a couple of times, way back on episode 82, and then again most recently on 297. And you may hear her dog in the background. He has some real thoughts about fasting. <laughs> I just love Chris's heart and her fire and the freedom she speaks over us. So here's our chat, including a lot of your questions with Christine Kane. Chris, welcome back to That Sounds Fun. Thanks for doing this. I am fired up to be with you, Annie, truly. It's going to be so fun. Okay, so let's start with, tell me about your life with fasting as a woman. Like, how have you experienced fasting to draw you closer to Jesus? Okay, it's a massive journey. You know, Annie, I I grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church, so we had um, different liturgical times of the year where we fasted. But I have to admit we would fast, so my parents especially, you know, Lenten fasts and a big deal in the Greek Orthodox Church, except from the time I was a little kid, we'd make all this big sort of special preparations for fasting, and then my parents would, like, cheat all the time. And then they would say to us, if your cousins ask or if your aunts and don't tell them that you've eaten meat. Don't t-. So I don't, I don't even know. So my probably my first traumatic memories of fasting uh, that you don't tell the truth. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know how it's setting us up for this whole podcast, but that's, that's where it comes down. So they were my early years, um, and then but fast. Fasting was part of our Greek Orthodox faith. And let me just please tell a lot of people listening to this, a lot of people were very serious about it. Just my family happened to be hypocritical. But anyway, (laughs) and then we moved on. (laughs) And and then I really became a fully devoted follower of Jesus in my early 20s. And, you know, I I didn't grow up reading the Bible. Uh, I didn't know you could. And so I'm sitting there, I'm reading about the life of Jesus. You know, I mean, mean, um, Matthew and Luke, and I'm reading about Jesus being taken up um, to the mountain, being tempted by Satan, and there's a 40-day fast. And, of course, 
I'm not Pentecostal. We are going to change the world. And if Jesus, my Savior, fasted for 40 days, then guess what? The very least I could do in my life was fast for 40 days. Well, (gasps) I think I might have lasted 40 minutes. I was about to be like, Chris, you went from zero to 40? No, maybe 40 minutes. Um, And and then I adopted my my Greek method of fasting, which is like pretend. Uh Um, uh so, So that would be like all the deal. But then I started to read a whole lot more and all jokes aside, I started to develop, here's how it happened for me in my early twenties. I started to develop a genuine hunger for God. I Mm. wanted more of God's presence. I wanted more, um, I want more of God's power. I wanted to see that working through my life. And, and, you know, I came from such a broken background that I needed some breakthroughs and it just seemed like I wasn't getting them. There was just in areas of renewing my mind, I, I was doing everything I knew to do, reading the Bible. I was talking to a counselor. I had a spiritual director but it was like there was some areas to do with shame in my life and guilt and condemnation that I just wasn't getting a breakthrough. And then as I was reading um, through the New Testament, and of course the Old Testament is full of fasting, but even in the New Testament, and I came across this one scripture where, you know, Jesus said this type doesn't come out except for by prayer and fasting. That was the deal breaker for me. It was like, okay, Chris, I'm going to try this. And um, I decided then I'm going to do a three-day fast and I've kind of jumped in and it was I I talked to my pastor at the time about that and they said you know what I I wanted to be strict I said if Jesus could do 40 days and I, I could just do water only and they're like Probably not. Why don't you try <laughs> why don't you try a juice fast? And you know, and Christine, that does not mean that you take your spanakopita and put it in a blender <laughs> and drink it, which you know, you try to do all that. But why don't you try just drinking juice for you know those meals during your day um, and then spend that additional time that would have either been food prep or going out to eat or whatever, um, in the Bible, like in scripture, and with some worship music and, and really turn your focus on God. I don't know what to say to you, Annie. I was in my early 20s and it was only three days of juice and, you know, um, the the thickest juice I could find that could still be almost um, considered fasting. Yes. But something happened on the inside of me that then I moved from there to developing a practice of fasting um, in my 20s and 30s and 40s. I'm in my mid-50s now. That it, it sort of has become a regular part of my rhythm. I, and I guess we're going to get to some of these questions down the track. And it looks very different. And it looked very different when I was pregnant to what it does now. It looked very different um, on times of extreme travel and international travel than it does in during this whole pandemic where I've been in one location um, for 18 months. It has looked very different. So I guess we're going to get into a lot of this, but a lot of different factors have determined what my fasting practices have looked like over the years, uh, depending on what season I'm in and what I'm able to do. The one thing I will say up front, there is nothing legalistic about uh, my approach to fasting. Never has been and uh, never will be, but I also know a lot of people out of, throughout my 35 years of Christian ministry that did have 
a very, very legalistic approach to fasting. And some of them did a lot of damage to their bodies too, just by not listening to wisdom. So I couldn't be more grateful that you're having this conversation because I think there's lots, there's a lot of nuance we need to bring to this and make sure that people are aware of that. Yes, that's beautiful. Thank you for saying that because we do, it's that line of self, between self-denial and doing something unhealthy. So yeah, I mean, you're you're probably going to have a headache if you're going to do a three-day or a, a one-day fast. You might have a headache. That doesn't mean your body's telling you to quit. No. And, you know, there's like, um, I, even with my daughters, we're very careful, you know, they're teenagers, but I'm like, no, no, no. Uh, missing a, a fasting, a snack um, is not going to cause you to, uh, to not be well. Or my other, my eldest daughter was hilarious. She's like, mom, I fast between dinner and breakfast. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know what it is with human nature, but there's a way to find a way around something. Um, and I do have friends. This is not a lie. One of my friends blended a baked dinner in a oh, blend gosh. Oh, and gosh. then put a straw in it. And I went, okay, I, you know what? I think we've missed the whole purpose of fasting. That's right. right That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm doing this to joke right up front on the podcast because I go, Everyone needs to realize there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of things that go into this. <laughs> yes, that's exactly okay. So that's one of the questions. Why is it important or helpful to fast? Why should women be fasting as a spiritual discipline? Number one, scripture, both Old and New Testament, has got a lot to say about fasting. And for someone that's thinking about this, it's really important. Go through the verses and you go, okay, if Jesus himself fasted, and there's evidence of uh, you know throughout the scripture of people fasting. Obviously, there's there's something uh, attached to it. There's some, there's some benefit that come accrues to us um, through doing this. For me, it's always about growing closer to God. Um, it's always I feel an extra solidarity maybe with people that are suffering. Um, when I come through a season of fasting, there's something about denying myself that helps me to connect everything. I mean, of course, I'm involved with helping to rescue the victims of trafficking, but any kind of injustice or suffering, I think denying myself, just not having whatever I want when I want, as soon as I feel hungry, there's something that makes me think there are people all over the world, Christine, that feel this ache of hunger that you have in your stomach Actually, they're feeling it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. and they do. So there's something about that solidarity. So not only me and God, but me and those that are suffering. And I have to admit for me personally, it does something about um, increasing self-control in my life. I find that if my mouth is out of control, my mind is out of control, um, my sleep, you know, just staying up, binge watching an extra series of stuff, I find that fasting helps me rein in some of my other appetites that are out of control. Wow. Yeah. It's an overarching self-denial, overarching self-control. Another question is, how do you keep your motives pure? This friend said, I feel like when I fast, I subconsciously feel like I'm doing it for health or dieting purposes. I think it's something we all go through if we're really honest. And um, particularly when I was younger, one of the great benefits of being 55 is you really get over some of that. So it's sure. awesome. But, yeah. uh, you know, if people listening to this podcast, you're mostly not at my age yet. But I, I was there too in my 20s and 30s. I think it's a matter of... Uh, us being honest before God, like, you know, I'm not the fasting police. I'm not here to police everybody's motives. And, you know, um, and I think, you know, we could fool maybe ourselves, definitely other people, never God. Um, that's what it comes down to. So I find it, when I'm fasting, I'm doing increased uh, journaling time normally during that too, because I'm creating space in my day for that. And I find um, 
being really honest about all the bad things I feel and wrong motives I feel as much as the benefit that is. And normally I don't really understand the benefit until after a fast um, because often, especially if I've gone, you know, more than a day, anything sort of more than a day, you it, it, it sort of starts to consume you a little bit, you know, um, the, the fact that you're either hungry or you're denying yourself yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So it's hard enough for me to remain a Christian during that time, exhibiting any <laughs> of the fruit of the spirit. That's right. Um, so I'm doing pretty good if I can even have some of the fruit of the spirit some of the time during that. Uh, and then I reflect, but during it, certainly it's a great time to show me what's in me. You would be shocked if you read some of my journals of what, and so part of that could be, Lord, I think I'm really doing this because I basically wanted to go down a gene size more than I wanted to actually get closer to you. I I would not be being honest if I didn't say somewhere along the line in my twenties and thirties, that didn't pop itself up. And I can't say I did this right every time, but in the few times that it did happen, I can say that um, I would stop fasting at that point because to me almost the purpose of it was revealed because it actually unlocked something on the inside of me. Also, I wish that I could fast for one day and change pant size. I mean, I'm like, y'all, it's three meals. It ain't, ain't going to make, it ain't going to give you a new face on the internet. It is a day. <laughs> right? I'm always like, y'all settle down. Um, okay. So I like this one too. I, this question says, I am hesitant to fast because I easily become hangry. I always want to avoid being cranky. I want to be kind and love my people well. Is it worth it to deal with being so hangry and end up snapping at my people for the sake of the discipline? How am I supposed to deal with emotional control? control when I'm just so hungry. And therein lies the whole purpose. <laughs> I'm like, um, is it worth the discipline? Um, is is the cost worth, you know, the, the price I'm going to pay? Well, I, I would probably reframe the question and go potentially part of what the Lord might want to deal with in us is to build that muscle, uh, build that tenacity muscle where um, I'm not allowing my hangriness to dictate how I respond to people, how I treat people. Um, And you are never going to learn to be able to go longer um, and, and exhibit the fruit of the spirit for longer until you're in that position where you have to. And the truth is most of us rarely put ourselves in uncomfortable, costly positions where we're going to have to rely on the strength of God, the power of God. Um, And so we never have to change and nothing ever grows. And it's just like me. I can look at my weights in the gym forever, never pick it up. But it's not until I start doing some of those reps where I want to throw those things. I don't want to do, well, at, at that point we go, oh, wow. I thought I was stronger than I really was. And I think that's what that does to us. So you go, is it worth it? And my argument would be that's the entire purpose. Um, You don't use the excuse of, oh, man, I just lose my temper. It's like maybe that's the very thing that the Lord wants to work on and you can't work on it unless you have the space to do it. And that's what it does. It creates that space. And I think a bigger question with all of that for all of us in our Christianity, particularly in the West where we're very comfortable, I mean, for my friends and brothers and sisters in, you know, some Muslim countries and um, in different regions of the world, they wouldn't even be having this podcast that we're having right now because this is so woven into the fabric of their spiritual disciplines because it's life and death. I mean, I'm talking about spiritual battles and overcoming um, things in the spirit realm that they would be thinking it's only those that are extremely comfortable and have extreme access to an abundance 
of food normally that are even having the kind of conversation that you and I are having right now. Yeah, that that is convicting. Thank you, Chris. Uh, thanks so much. It's great to have you. Have a good day. Um, okay, uh, should fasting be done weekly or seasonally or during really difficult times in our lives? I've done all of the above. <laughs> so again, you will find this, anyone that would know me, I am extremely hesitant to put any kind of uh, legalistic, ritualistic, you must do this for whatever. Um, have I found benefits in doing it weekly? Absolutely. Are there times um, of extreme challenge in my life where it's like this needs focus? I, I know Nick and I, um, my husband, in different seasons, if even as a ministry or in our trafficking or even in our marriage where it's like we – we really need a word from God in this or we need a breakthrough, uh, we might go on a very serious fast and hold each other accountable and go, okay, we are going to fast until we break through. So there's a, but we don't do that all the time, but there are times very definitely um, that that would happen. And there are different seasons. And again, when I was pregnant, um, I didn't. You know, so that that was like, and it would, could be different for different people. I was 35 the first time I was pregnant. I was 40 the second time. I had enough things to navigate with my body um, that I, I didn't think that that was something that I should do. I didn't feel any, conv- I, you know, the Lord would have had to come and write it on the wall for me to yes, do it. Yes. So I think sometimes. And a lot like, of pregnant women have asked us about pregnant or nursing. And, I, and while we are not medical professionals. That's right. I'm not a doctor. So I, do, I can only tell you what I did. And I didn't um, for that whole reason. And the whole time. I breastfed, all of that. Um, I didn't. And that's not to say that other people do, but I just didn't. And I think at other times I've come out of surgery and had a long rehab after I had thyroid cancer, um, had a long, many, many months of rehab. I didn't do, I just did what the doctor told me. Um, and th- that was for me, not a season to do anything additional, just kind of getting through my rehab, taking all my medication. That was enough. Um, so yes, is it seasonal? Yes. I'll say that as well. Should you do it weekly? Yes. And should there be intense times of it? Yes to all of it. Yes. Um, are we allowed to drink coffee while fasting is a question. Um, I, I think you, you can decide. I, I, there are different times. Can I just tell you, you know, I am dead serious about something when I'm not drinking coffee. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That take it out every demon in the <laughs> because for us to get to that part where it's like the exclusion list, um, I've always, you know, even often at the beginning of the year, we would do like a, maybe a Daniel fast in our family um, for the first month or, you know, 15 days or something in January, just to, for us, it's more like, this is how I want to start the year. I just want to put Jesus first. And I've got kids, so it's like let's maybe do a Daniel fast or make it work. Well, I've, you know, stretched my definition of a Daniel fast to include bean juice because coffees are beans. Ah. Because normally <laughs> in a very technical Daniel fast, one is not supposed to have coffee. I don't know, I don't know how Annie has got me confessing all of my sins yes, to you all. thank you, thank but you. But I am telling you all, my Daniel fast has Bean juice. Bean juice involved. Coffees are beans, and that's a vegetable. <laughs> that's a good and answer. A <laughs> Very good answer. Okay, so in follow up to that, another one of our friends says, "Can you start small, fasting for an hour, or fasting for one meal and build up? Should you start with a forty day fast?" 
<laughs> I, I love that question because sometimes, uh, not sometimes, most of the times in every area of our Christian life, we so devalue the small first step that we never take it. And um, I, I'm saying to anybody listening to this podcast, never, ever devalue that. So just start exactly where you are um, and it could pick something. And maybe you might even just go, I'm going to, I really particularly love this kind of food. So maybe just that one item is where I'm going to start. For some, it might be one meal. For some, it might be one snack. With my daughters, I just started with a snack, and you would have thought I'd ask them to go on a you know three-year fast. <laughs> so you've got to start where you are. Um, another friend asked, do we still do our normal day-to-day things while fasting? Do we still go to work? Do we still exercise? What does a day look like? How does your day shift if you've decided to fast on a Wednesday? Yeah, again, that's a great, great uh, challenge. And because Annie so loves how I'm direct, I'm just going to come to you with scripture here. Jesus actually did say, you know, when you are uh, praying and fasting, make sure that nobody knows. So I just want to throw that in. Um, and that's the big, that for me is one of the biggest challenges because sometimes, you know, I've got big meetings or uh, like all of us, we've just got life. So, um, and I've got to turn up. And a smile on my face, spring in my step, um, doing it because it is not for other people to know. Like if we're doing to get a check mark so that someone thinks I'm really spiritual, I, I could tell you up front, we're not doing it right at that moment. It is not about other people knowing that I'm fasting. There are rare occasions I tell people because I, if I'm in a very serious one, at other times I'll just break a fast sometimes if I'm with people because I don't want them to know and I don't want to make a big deal about it. So, you know, you just, again, it's discretion. Sometimes though, if I'm in a very intense thing, there there might be a couple of people that need to know just so it doesn't get awkward for anyone um, of why I'm not eating or what's going to happen. So, uh, but the premise, and this is what we all have to remember, it's not for people to know. It's about my relationship with Jesus. That's actually the deal. And so um, it's not for brownie points. So do you go about your normal day? Yes. You know, it would be great to use the excuse of fasting to lie in bed for the next 40 days. Right. Go, I'm on a 40 day fast, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> but no, 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 no. So yeah. don't bring that one to your boss. And 40 day, just for everyone listening, for, I don't know people who fast for 40 days anymore. That is a very, I mean, my, my, community, we hear one day, three days, seven day, like that's kind of what, what is common. 40 day is not, I don't know people who do that. That's very rare. Wouldn't you say? I would only know one person and that's it. Like literally, um, and um, in my whole 35 years, I've probably only known uh, less than 10 in my entire 35 years of people. And they are like so super spiritual. I'm like, oh, praise the Lord, I'm not worthy. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, my husband's done some very long juice fast and again, very monitored. Um, and if anything's happening in his body, um, we will make adjustments uh, radically. I don't believe God calls us to fast so we end up in hospital out of malnutrition or dehydration. I think it's really important um, to not confuse the two. And anywhere in your mind, as soon as you start getting into any pattern of thinking that goes, I can't do this, I can't, and you get that it's sort of like almost a legalism that comes over. We're no longer under grace at that moment. And, and that is, you need to not do it. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. And yeah. what is the, I mean, another question that got asked is how important is it to have accountability? So what is that line of obeying Jesus, of putting oil in our head and nobody knows and we're smiling and we're all the things. And do, but do we need someone to know? Yeah, and perhaps I think, yes, depending on where you're at and how long it's going to be. All of these things matter. Um, I think that if it's, I think anything over two days, someone very close to you ought to know. Um, and 
Um, you know, if you're thinking of anything over a week, a cu- you better get some counsel Medical. from a couple yeah, of yeah, people. Yeah, Don't yeah. make I any agree. of those sort of decisions just haphazardly. But um, I know if I, uh, and I mean, I can tell you because you love her too, uh, Lisa Harper. So Lisa and Harper and I, um, if we're going to do anything that's a couple of days or more, she will call me every hour to tell me, to, to hold her accountable. Um, and because we are just like wetting ourselves, you've got to almost create a little bit of fun or you're in the midst of it all. But I think it, it will help you stay true to it. Um, in my case, I've got Nick, my husband, you know, it'll be just like, okay, this is, and because I've got a couple of teenage daughters, um, I'm very careful even at home, how we talk about that and what it means. And, you know, my girls, especially in the early days, we would talk a lot about, um, them and, and body image and fasting and what we're doing. And so whoever's listening to this, we're all in different seasons. I'm a mother, I'm a mother of teenage daughters. So I'm not just going to suddenly go on this very strict fast without my family being aware of what's happening and why it's happening and the spiritual reasons behind it. And I'm going to really pray long and hard before I make that kind of decision. Yeah. So in my life, if it if it's a seven day or anything more than that, my counselor, my pastor, my doctor know. Those are besides my my up close mentor accountability. I make sure my counselor knows because I got body stuff. I make sure my pastor knows because it's going to be hard, and I make sure my doctor knows because I have a body, <laughs> and we need to. So I think that's the wise. Okay, so someone is asking, how is fasting different for men and women? Why are we just talking about fasting, particularly for women? Well, I think if we're honest, you know, we're being honest. Um, body image and women. Um, is a category all on its own. Entire magazines and books and studies are dedicated to that. And so it would be, you know, the Bible says get get knowledge, get wisdom, get understanding. And that's what I love about this podcast, period, is that there is the spiritual realm that is very important, but also the scriptures instruct us, get wisdom, get understanding, and get knowledge. And so as women, understanding that we're prone Um, to be impacted by body image stuff and knowing that you can at times, and when you bring God into it, things become a bit blurry, but you can be using a spiritual practice, but it really isn't spiritual. The the purpose of it is that um, you are trying to either control something in your body or you're trying to lose weight or there's something about yourself you don't like. Uh, Fasting is not going to fix something about yourself that you don't like. And I I think... um, this can then cross over to how we even view God because subconsciously we could be saying, well, God, I fasted. I should look better now or I should, you know, this now or I should that now. And I think that's a really dangerous line because fasting is not about those things. It's, it's a spiritual thing to do with me and Jesus. Um, and I can end up resenting Jesus if I don't lose weight when I'm fasting, if I'm fasting for the wrong reason. Right. And I've got guy friends. You probably do too. I have, I have two guy friends who have what they call their fasting clothes and they're just a size smaller and they stay at the corner of the closet. And when they're fasting and when they lose a chunk of weight because they've fasted for seven days or something, they just switch those clothes and then they switch back like it doesn't matter. I don't know a woman who can switch back up and not care. My husband has that because it's, and it's, if I, if I let that get into my head, I'm like, you're sickening to me. I'm like, who are you? And what happened? And I've been going as long as you, and that hasn't happened to me. So I've got to 
I've got to separate those things in my mind. And also, Chris, tell me what you think about this. I've been rolling this thing around in my mind. When people talk about how their mothers and their grandmothers prayed for them, that's who we hear. When someone says, how did you get here? They say, well, my grandmother prayed for me. Right. So so the enemy knows how effective prayer and fasting are. And if he can take out 55 percent of the population from fasting because of our body issues, he knows he's limiting our prayers. Oh, absolutely. And the breakthroughs we would experience through that. I think what you're saying is a very important thing. There's different. And. And it's not like it doesn't. It's not like this surreal thing to kind of bring in this spiritual supernatural component because the fact is, prayer and fasting are put together in the scripture, um, and they are a supernatural uh, spiritual thing, and they're used in the context of spiritual warfare. Uh, and they're used, I mean, in so many different things, but they're used in the in in the context of saying, okay, the reason I'm fasting and there's biblical fasting is because breakthrough happens, is because connection with Jesus happens, self-control happens, self-discipline happens. And, of course, I'm Pentecostal, so for the three of you that are Pentecostal (laughs) listening to this, um, there's also, we believe, a a real uh, power. Also, here's another thing that happens. is That That should not be Pentecostal, Chris. That is just true. uh, It is in the Bible for all of us. Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals read the same Bible. And so (laughs) what it does, though, uh, I, I think what we have to Uh, not forget is when I'm really seeking God's guidance. Now, of course, fasting doesn't make God speaking to me any clearer. It does make my capacity to hear God clearer. because Ah, that's good. That's more the thing. It's not like I feel more intimate with God in prayer. Does that mean God's not listening to me when I'm not fasting? No, I'm just more attentive to God's response in the midst of of all of that. And I think um, when you see how much deliverance and even the amount of times, why would Jesus, I mean, fully God, fully human, why would fasting be such an important component of his life and ministry if there was not a power that came with that? And I think it helps us to overcome temptation um, as well as prioritize the centrality of God in our lives. And I, I can tell when I'm succumbing to temptation uh, more often than say usual, I'm like, okay, Chris, I think you need to go on a fast because it helps. It does something about building a resilience in me where I'm not excusing things quite like in my own life. I'm not talking about judging anything totally, out there. I'm totally. talking about Christine Kane. Yes. Um, there's great power in it for me in helping me to overcome temptation. Yes, yes. Okay, so here's the next question. How do you pray when you fast? Like, it just seems like a long time to pray about something, and it would be repetitive or boring or awkward. So what does your prayer life look like on the days that you fast? Not that it's anything um, more mystical as such. I might go more for a walk with God, but sometimes my times of silence in prayer, um, and I don't know whether that's maybe because I feel weak uh, and I'm just like whatever, but I have possibly during times of fasting um, my my capacity to be silent before the Lord and hear from the Lord tends to be greater than when I'm not. I don't know how to explain that for me. Again, this is a very subjective conversation. No, I love it. be different. That I find, and whether it's I'm just weaker in energy, I don't know, but I find that I'm just way more willing to linger before the Lord 
and wait for the Lord than I normally am to get through my prayer list. Yes. Okay. I'm going to say what might be a controversial thing, but I, and I just want you to correct me, you know, well, offline, you know, you always have permission to correct me. You, (laughs) you know, this, you are allowed to pastor me in the right way. Anytime you can, I'll be the lamb you throw over your shoulders anytime you want, Chris, but But sometimes when we talk about fasting and people say, I know we aren't supposed to fast for change. We're supposed to fast to get nearer to God. Sometimes I think people say that so that they hedge a bet that if things don't change, they don't get mad at God. And because I actually think we are supposed to fast to see things change. Well, of course, because Jesus said these won't come out except by prayer and fasting. Therefore, that means you can expect a correlation between I'm fasting and this happened. Now, I'm not saying in every case that's the reason for it. I think when it comes to fasting is an act of faith as well. Yes. Um, And I think in lots of acts of faith, we love to hedge our bets. Um, So we don't want God to come out looking bad. Yes. And we don't want to be disappointed. So I'm going, oh, and then what that does then is minimize your faith. And then I think sometimes you, you are, miss out on a breakthrough you could get with expectation. Um, If you go, I'm bringing my expectation to this and I'm believing God for this. I'm not putting a time limit on it. I'm not telling God how he's going to do it. But if this kind comes out by prayer and fasting, and that's what I said earlier, like when I want a breakthrough, I am fasting for a breakthrough. There are other times I'm fasting to build my intimacy with Jesus. I'm fasting for a whole lot of other things. And there are times, and there are times Nick and I are like, I am not letting go until I get a breakthrough. And I could tell you 35 years, it works. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It yes. works. Yes. Is that okay to say podcast? Yes. yes. I mean, that is what I, I feel like one of the calls on my life is to impart faith and to say to people, believe for what you don't see. Believe for what you don't see. So stop eating so that you will see the breakthrough that you want. Amen. Because I know your heart is so tender to people because it's so true. And I think I, I look at times where Jesus agonizing after praying, after fasting, I think for the exact same reason as you're weeping right now. It's like, oh, guys, if you could get this, if you could get this, the, the very breakthrough you're looking for, the very, it's on the other side of this, if it would happen. And if you don't believe that you're going to make a difference. I mean, we I sat in a thing the other day, Chris, where people were talking about if we pray, does it change God's mind? And all and a whole bunch of people kind of were like, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I was like, I it has to. Hello? <laughs> Hello, exactly Jesus that. said, this is why you don't give up, the persistent widow. Like the judge changed his mind. That's it. And and in the old testament, God goes, Okay, you can live um for an extra 15 years. Okay. So right? you can like yes. Right? This is, I'm like, that that is what I pray. I I I I believe if we pray in alignment with God, when you take the faith component out of prayer and fasting. I don't know what we're doing personally. I, just I don't rules. know what it's we're just doing. Rules. It, You're just rules. Literally, and we just we may as well be kind of just sitting on a mat, just doing some sort of incantations. That, and uh, that that's not the invitation from God to partner with him. And we're supposed to stir up that gift of faith. And, and I mean, faith is, you know, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we That's cannot see. Is. That's what the scripture says. It says, let's start there. And that we walk by faith and not by sight. And that's what all this is about. And, and the life we now live in the body, we live by faith in the son of God and the righteous will live by faith. I keep trying to tell people, I know we live in a very scientific, rational, empirical world, 
except we're Christians. Uh, so we're a faith people. That, so there is a little bit of us that is a bit weird because that's what faith is. I don't know how to explain it to anyone. You and I, I, I mean, at the base level, the thing that unites every one of us that, that is a person of faith listening to this podcast, it uh, doesn't matter what denomination you are, all of us believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Okay, so that's what—that's the linchpin of the Christian faith. It doesn't matter what tradition you're from, we all believe that. Well, I don't know. It takes a lot of faith to believe some dude that I never met 2,000 years ago rose from the dead and, and is coming back again. I've actually staked my entire eternity on that. So I'm like, you know what? That's a weird thing to believe, and I believe it. So I can believe that a breakthrough happens through fasting. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I keep thinking, I mean, to me, I, for a long time, that part in the Bible where it says that faith without works is dead, I thought it meant like believe Jesus and then go serve at a soup kitchen, which I think it does. I do think there are works that look like Christian works. But the longer I'm doing this, I'm like, wait, I think he means faith works. I think he means do things that look crazy, like fasting for change, like Faith without works of faith is dead. Yeah, do things that are crazy. I said we're, we're two sides of the of an airplane. They're both wings. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm like looking at my Angie. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm yelling. I'm yelling, Chris, because I'm just it's so. Sure. I wish you could all see her. She's like on fire. Well, the, this is our point: is a lot of our faith doesn't work because we don't put our faith to work. So if we put our faith to work, we go, oh, faith works, and we're like, yes, it's an active. Faith is the substance. It's a thing, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it is shocking to me, but particularly in the, you know, this era that we're living in, in this cultural moment, we who are a people of faith, whose faith is predicated on such a supernatural act that occurred 2,000 years ago, why we struggle so much with faith. I'm going, the very foundation of our faith is so out there. So embrace it all. Here's what I say to people. I don't know why you think I'm weird. I'm like, we're weird. Let's just embrace it. And I think because, and I get it, people have seen excesses and things done in the name of God that have got nothing to do with God and acts of faith that are more like acts of stupidity and not common sense. Um, I understand all of that, but that does not negate the reality of faith or the importance of faith. And I don't think you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We could just simply not be idiots and still walk in faith. Yes, yes. And it, I mean, one of the one of the questions that I would love for you to answer is for the this woman who said, every time I break a fast, I'm, I feel guilty because I didn't get the spiritual breakthrough, the closeness to God I was hoping for. And I'm disappointed that God didn't change anything. I think disappointment drives us away from spiritual disciplines all the time. So her question is, am I fasting wrong if I don't feel anything different at the end? No, but I would keep... Um, going back because there are different there are different times I feel a lot of stuff and a lot of times I don't feel a lot of stuff but here's the faith component again by faith I believe that God's doing what needs to be done that's why I think it's important to the best of our ability to see it through um, because you just don't even know what's on the other side of that obedience and like I said sometimes it's months later you go wow now I could draw a thread back I'm not saying that's going to happen every time but listen I have so many stories in my life where it's, it happened the one time and that one time was enough to carry me the other 50 times. So I'm like, you know, it's just I do it out of obedience and I find the more I do it out of obedience, the more times I'm able to say, whoo, 
I got something out of that or I felt something. So a lot of us just give up. We, we do it once and go, man, I never felt anything. What a waste. I'm not doing that again. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We wouldn't do that in any area of our life if that was the case, not just this area. That's right. I would love for you to work out one time at the gym and your body be exactly what you wanted. <laughs> Why do we sort of have this different standard for God than we do for ourselves or for any other interest or career or uh sporting pursuit or something that we're trying to get in our life we'll go back again and again and again and again and i'm like wow poor god one strike and you're out <laughs> right. <laughs> right but i'll give a restaurant two sh- tries if i had a bath experience <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs> okay so one of our friends is asking how do you decide the length of a fast how do you know if it's a meal if it's one day three days seven days and, you know we've got such a broad range of listeners so of course um and I'm sure I have to put a lot of disclaimers. Yeah, anyone with any health issues, medical issues, I'm not a doctor, I'm not that. So I'm just talking generically. I think it's about as spiritual as just decide. Uh, that, that's, you know, um, I, I am probably the most pragmatic Pentecostal you're ever going to meet uh, because I just think 99% of things are just common sense and go, okay, I'm not going to come out of the gate on a 40 day fast, I'll come out of the day on what, let's try one meal. Let's try two meals. Let's try a full day. Let's try maybe two days. I, I am very much step-by-step step, line upon line, precept upon precept. Uh, there have been rare occasions. And when I was younger, I did this a lot more than I do now um, where I would do extended fast. And sometimes I would be in prayer and go, I just really feel like I'm supposed to fast. Um, again, at the time I wasn't married. I didn't have children. I had a lot of other, you know, I had a lot less responsibilities than I've got. I wasn't running a global organization with 19 offices around the world. I uh, wasn't doing any of that. So at those times, particularly in my twenties, I did, that's where I did most of my longer extended kind of and even spontaneous fasts. Nowadays, I would be, I have different times um, of the year and particularly the beginning of the year is a a big one in in our family and um, then different seasons and sometimes with the liturgical calendar or oftentimes, I'm a little bit of a rebel, so sometimes if everybody else is fasting, I'm like going to be eating chocolate cake and I'm like, nope, and then when nobody else is doing it, I'm going to do it. So that I don't know if there's anything, that's just Christine's rebellious nature, but um but I would say just make a decision and start uh, on the smaller end um, to start and then just uh, see how you go from there. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, let's listen to this um, recording that came in, this question that one of our friends sent in. Hey, this is Lauren Elliott in Shawnee, Kansas. I just want to know, how do we like really test our motives? I feel like often I want to start fasting and I think that it is spiritual, but I like second guess myself um, about my motives. So how can we know and be confident in our motives as we start to fast, but then throughout the process? We put too much pressure on ourselves. Uh, You could do the best you could do. (laughs) Um, Sometimes, you know, I read that scripture in Hebrews that says, for every man has been destined to die once and then the judgment, not talking about salvation, but judging our motives in our life. And I'm like, oh God, Um, you know, I I ask God for like crop failure on any wrong (laughs) motives I've had. Lord, I pray crop failure. Crop (laughs) failure. That's beautiful. That's a big thing. wasn't of you please can I have a cup for you um and so we so I don't know guys I think just I wouldn't get too intense 
um, because sometimes we talk ourselves out of it by so trying to overanalyze our hearts. And here's my bottom line. You do the best you can. I'm not excusing um, wrong motives, overt ones, but I am saying scripture says, you know, who can know the heart? Like, honestly, the heart is deceitful above all things and who can know it? Uh, so I work even in my own life under the presupposition that, I try to do the best by my heart, but I don't even trust my own heart. So I'm like, Lord, search me, try. And very regularly I pray the Psalms, search me, try me, <laughs> see if there's any evil way in me, wrong motive in me, um, and renew a right spirit within me, Lord. And I think that's the best we could do. The very fact that you're asking the question probably suggests that you're on track. I you're think. on the right track. That's exactly right. If you even know that there's a chance your motives are off, good on you. I don't know that when I practice fasting that I even say the motive thing enough. I, that's I'm convicted by you in that question, ask her friend, because I'm like, yeah, I need to make sure I'm saying, are my motives pure here, God? Or as, as best I can do, golly, I'm going to be a human every day. So totally, it's totally. The, it is best. Okay, so my last question for you, Chris, we're asking everybody this. Is your life different because you fasted? Absolutely. I, I mean, go through my prayer journals. Um, and in many instances, especially for a lot of the very big things that have happened in my life and decisions and breakthroughs and, and expansion. Um, there's a direct correlation between some very focused times of fasting and answers that came from the Lord. Um, and I'm not saying the Lord would have given me those answers. I'm sure my capacity to hear my radar was up at a level. And that's the biggest thing. I don't know how spiritual that sounds, but my spiritual radar, my little antenna, I'm receiving downloads from the Lord. That happens a lot more in those seasons. And so, um, and even as I get older, because you could get lazy, you know, familiarity with Jesus breeds a laziness in our faith. And so I, I one way, um, like in the natural, you know, I've taken to climbing some mountains. Now yes, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, because I just didn't want my physical body to get lazy. Uh, fasting is one of those disciplines because I, I've sort of got enough muscle memory, scripture memory, experience. If I'm not careful, I could just run on the fumes of that with no fresh oil. And I find fasting keeps the oil fresh because it keeps me hungry for God. That's beautiful. Chris, thank you. Oh, I love you so much. Thank you for doing this. Sorry I cried on you. Oh man, Christine Kane, I'm fired up. Same. I mean, I texted her yesterday afternoon and I was like, I'm still buzzing. I'm still <laughs> buzzing. It is faith and fasting. Faith and fasting are the two things that we want to walk away from this conversation having deposited a little bit more in us. Yeah. One of the other questions we got is resources about fasting. Besides this extended episode, <laughs> um, which I am incredibly proud of and so thankful to our friends for doing and to our friends for asking questions. I'm just proud all around. I'm proud of our guests. I'm proud of our friends listening that who even want to dive into this. But what are some resources that you know of that people can, can go to? Some books? So... It's interesting because the very, very first resource that I ever encountered about fasting is a chapter in um, uh, Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. Celebration of Discipline. Um, and um, Sweet Low High School actually read this book um, every year. Yep. Um, 
and she's gotten a little more relaxed since then. But um, <laughs> but it's just uh, the entire book is is beautiful and challenging and convicting and and helpful. Yeah. Um, but there is a whole chapter about fasting there. A local pastor here in Nashville named Dave Clayton, who pastors at Ethos Church, yep. has a short book that I found really helpful. Yes. Um, I read it maybe three years ago when our church um, was doing the Awaken yes. um, series and experience. And I just... It's brilliant, and it's very accessible. Yes. Like, it's a great place to start. Yep. Um, and it's called Revival Starts Here. Um, and again, that's Dave Clayton. And if you search it on Amazon, if you search Revival Starts Here or Dave Clayton, it's the first thing that pops yep. up. Yep. And he is a really um, trustworthy pastor. Yeah, he is. And so he, his, his writing and his teaching, you can feel safe embracing for yep. yourself. Also, speaking of that, John Mark Comer mm-hmm. has a series from Bridgetown, January of 18. There's a series about fasting that yep. really impacted my life. So I would encourage people to go back and listen so to that. Good. I'm stoked. What a great conversation to have. Um, also, listen, y'all, we have this thought. Our first podcast back in 2022 is on Epiphany. It's on January 6th. And here's something that came up while Chris and I were talking and we talked about with our team. What if we, as a community, fast for one meal on January 6th? What if we, as a group of friends, fast for one meal on January 6th? Like, what might happen? What might change if all of us start the year off getting closer to the Lord and contending for what we need to see? So, I am going to fast breakfast on January 6th just because I like that time in the morning. It, it, I'm already at home. It gives me a little more time. You can pick breakfast, lunch, dinner. You can do breakfast and lunch. You can do whatever you want. But January 6th, that Thursday, that is Epiphany, we are going to fast and pray one meal together, all of us. Uh, again, as we're thinking about what Andy talked about, we're talking about discomfort and not harm. So please be very thoughtful about that as you are joining in with us. If it needs to be something else, it can be something else. If it doesn't need to be something else, fast a meal. Fast a meal with us. Let's be a little uncomfortable for a couple of hours on January 6th all together. Um, and we'll we'll give you more information about that when the year starts, but I wanted you to go ahead and put that on your calendar. Our team is going to be invited to do that. I am going to do that. So January 6th, Epiphany, we're going to start the year off with an Epiphany and uh, maybe fasting for the first time, but for sure, our group of friends fasting together for the first time. Hey, be sure you follow Chris and Jada and Andy if you're not already doing so, so you can tell them thanks so much for being on the show. You can also just go to my Instagram and thank them in the comments of this post. Tag them and they will see it. I'm just so thankful for how they invested in us this way. I'm just so grateful for each of their perspectives and their wisdom. And we're going to end a little bit differently today. Ashley, what, when you think about resources about fasting, what was your first answer? Oh, I mean, it's such a Sunday school answer, but it's it's God's Word. Yeah. Like, go straight to the Bible. Yeah. When I look back at the chapter about fasting and celebration of discipline, one of the sentences that um, Foster writes, it says— um, it says, the list of biblical personages who fasted reads like a who's who of Scripture. Moses the lawgiver, David the king, Elijah the prophet, Esther the queen, Daniel the seer, Anna the prophetess, Paul the apostle, Jesus Christ, the incarnate son. Mm. And it's just, there are so many examples of, of fasting in Scripture. And so yeah. I don't know why we wouldn't at least, you know, just to 
take a little stroll through some of those stories and, and ask those questions like, okay, well, why and how and, yeah. and what were the outcomes of these yes. these situations? Yes. Um, you know, and what, if anything, um, and I think there's probably something, can I gain and apply from yeah. getting to know these characters and their stories and, and how, and and how they fasting have, how fasting affected yes. their That's lives? Right. That's right. Will you close us? Andy mentioned a scripture in Isaiah about fasting. Yeah. And will you just close us with that? Absolutely. Um, It's Isaiah 58, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. So hang in with me. It's beautiful. Um, It says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Yeah. Then, in verse 8, leads us to your light will break forth, your healing will appear quickly, your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I mean, to th- but ultimately, the, the end of all fasting is that the Lord will answer. Yeah. The message says, then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help, and I'll say, here I am. Here I am. Amen. Amen. Amen.